media mode. covers your story, your story will be built from the ground up. All right, so today's guest is somebody who is not shy of giving their opinion, and everybody knows I have an opinion, whether you like it or not. She doesn't care either. Actress, comedian, talk show host. I mean, I have I'm going to throw it in there because she was real as fuck. <laughs> Welcome, Amanda Seals. <laughs> you know, the well, first of all, how you been? I'm good. You have to now say radio host since I have a syndicated radio show. Well, but that's the thing. I literally on the way over here went through the list of how I was going to uh, introduce <laughs> you. You've done everything. To, but it's I mean, like what I'm doing now, though. Okay, syndicated talk show, syndicated radio host. You also are an author. I didn't say that. You're, you're a published author. You're, yes. You've gone on tour, which you're, are you on tour now? Or you're getting ready to go on tour. We're going to talk about oh, all yeah. that. I needed, I needed a break. I know, but we're going to get into the whole break because the yep. energy you came in on was the energy I was on before I started the show. Which is, I think, it, for me, I call it fatigue. I was fatigued. I was <laughs> burnt, burnt, burnt out. Um, it fell into depression, Ooh. anxiety. I mean, I've been tiptoeing with depression for the last couple weeks. Really? Tiptoeing. Okay, well, let's I'll be go looking back. Looking at it like. Uh, uh. So let's go back. You said you've been sacked since 1994, <laughs> and you're you, you're four years younger than me, which means you were a kid. I'm four years younger than you. Yeah, I'm 45. Listen, let me tell y'all something about some light-skinned folks. We be getting just enough melanin, just enough to hold on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we look good. We doing good. Um, I found three gray hairs this morning, and I've never, I've only found one, and I found three today. Did it send you into a spin? Um, yes, because I'm bringing it up, so, <laughs> yes. You were traumatized. So are you, so what is your, you have issues with aging? I don't know that I've had issues with aging. I've just been able to stave it off for the most part, right. you know, for quite some time. But then, like, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, it's so... When you see a gray hair, that's, like, definitive, <laughs> like, you're going to die. Yeah, but you know? Like, <laughs> it's your mortality. It's less of the aging and more just, like, it's a coming, yeah, you know? Yeah, but three gray hairs is not... I mean... Three gray hairs. I'm exaggerating, yeah. but I'm just telling you my experience. No, okay? I'm the but same. Have, it, when you've seen it all at one time, right? Like, yeah. I'm literally, like, doing my makeup, like, fuck, wait. Because in the past, I'm like, oh, it's blonde. <laughs> it's blonde. And now it's aging. It's aging. Yeah, I get a haircut, and we do a gray hair check at the end of every haircut. I found, this, this, you know, I had a little gray hair, and one of my assistants walked by and goes, oh, that's like Superman. That nigga, no. that's, that's not funny. <laughs> no, Because, not, no, Superman, no. he's also dead now. Like, I'm going to paint that. And I've actually died just the front, just... Because I had more than three. Okay, okay. Yeah. You had a sprout. I had like a, a little S. Okay. A little S curl. Ooh, yeah. that could have been a vibe, <laughs> no, though. No, it's 2023. S curls are not in. <laughs> I mean, listen, things, get, things come and go based on who's doing that. Okay, wait. So, so you're 41. You look a lot younger than 41. I'm 45 and look a lot younger than 45. But I, too, have not issues with aging, but I do have issues with death. Like, if I cough, I think I have lung cancer. If I... Uh, have a stomach ache, I think it's uh, uh, pancreatitis or stomach cancer. I'm really a hypochondriac to the point where I get my blood checked every four months. Are you obsessed with aging, death, or are you just kind of riding it out and dealing with the kinks as they come? I'm riding it out. I'm not afraid of death at all. Yeah. At all? I'm afraid of, like, a painful process on the road to it. Yeah. But, like, if I left here and got hit by a bus, I'd be like, it's fine. 
I did a special. I wrote a book. I bought my mama house. Like I did the things I needed to do. I found love. Yeah, like, but you still got, I got a dog. Bus. Yeah, but I mean, if I die instantly, it's like you know they can watch this episode and be like, I remember her. <laughs> <laughs> but are you are do you, are you obsessed with how it's going to happen? Like, do you think about it? Mm-mm. No. I think once you've like even toyed with the idea of suicide and like gotten through it, you're just like, whatever comes. But that's also very easy to say when we live in like a, we still live in a somewhat privileged society, right? Like we are still in, I can say for myself, like I live in a pretty safe neighborhood. Like, you know, I, I feel like at this point in my life, I've managed to avoid like a lot of death-defying situations. And so I think that's also part of it. But like when you look at the way that like now America is in a state where you can just go anywhere and possibly get murked yeah. just because you was grocery shopping, it's kind of like practical yeah. to be like, whatever happens, happens, or else you'll live in a constant state of anxiety. But you grew up in Inglewood and now you live- I did not. Please don't say that because they will said... come for me. They will come for me. No, but okay, I saw I that you born, grew up in the wood. I was born, no, I didn't grow up in the wood. I was okay. born in Daniel Freeman Hospital, which was torn down for the stadium. <laughs> um, so I was born in Inglewood. I, I lived there as a baby. Okay. Okay. But and so then, you could say you were born in the wood. I was born in the wood, but okay. if you say you grew up, they're going to start calling street names. Really? And if you can't say the street name, then they'd be like, she's fraud, she's fraud. You know, <laughs> that's why y'all shouldn't be listening to her. You know what I'm saying? So let me just be clear. Wait, then where did you grow up? I grew up in the valley. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Because my mom moved because she got robbed. <laughs> My mom, well, to be clear, I didn't grow up in, like, a nice part of the valley. Right. Like, I grew up behind a car wash, but nonetheless, like, right. and across the street from Taco Bell. But, like, right. I mean, I, I was there when Maxi Meltz came out. Okay? But if you like, say you're from Compton when you just drove through there or Watts, it's like black we, folks is going to have a problem with It's that. like if you're not from D.C. and you're from Maryland and you say you're from D.C., like, all of D.C. is like, you're a fraud. Like, because black folks in America, we really take ownership of where we're from. Yeah. So much was taken from us that we really hold on to, like, any little piece of identity that we can have. And so that's why I feel like people are so possessive, right, about, like, where they're from, what block they claim, what crew, et cetera. So for me, I take it very – I understand that. So I'm not trying to step on nobody block. You know, with the wrong color zone and not know. So, no, I grew up in, uh, in the Valley by Granada Hills. And then I moved to Orlando. And then I spent like 8 to 18 in Orlando. And then I was in New York till 2015. And then you came back here. Yep. And you like living in L.A. Because you, you say you, you, you don't live in a dangerous neighborhood. You live near the Kardashians. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I originally lived in... When I first moved back, I lived in the valley, and I remember thinking that I lived in a safe neighborhood. And then my mom came to visit, and then she like walked to the grocery store and came back and was like, "Are you aware of where you're living?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" Because you know, you get in your car in LA and you just gone. Yeah. And she was like, "There's lots of seedy characters around here." And then like once your car gets robbed in the parking lot like three times, you're like, in "Where you lived?" Where I lived, yes. You're like, maybe this isn't, but. I will say that I love LA at this point in my life because I had done everything that I needed to do with New York. Yeah. Like when I left New York, it was like good riddance. Yeah. You know, there was no, um, dang, like I feel like, like I didn't move out here for anybody else but me or for anything else but me. And just being able to see nature all the time and see the mountains and shit. At that, I don't know if I can curse, but. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, listen. 
by the time I'm always impressed by people who are in New York after 30 because I feel like your bone density can't even handle it. Like, but it depends. On, it depends on if you're trekking up and down the that's subway. What I'm saying, yeah, though. like if you're a real New Yorker, like not taking the subway in certain instances just seems dumb. Yeah, you're like this doesn't make sense. It's gonna take me two hours to get here. But like, I lo- to this day, I will take the train. You you would. I do. Oh yeah, in New York. Yeah. Oh no, I'm not taking the train up three blocks. I'm not messing with the I'm, train. The train people were getting pushed in front of the train. I I'm saw a kid the train. get thrown I'm a from New Yorker. I'm yeah. taking the fucking train. Yeah, and see, all right? New Yorkers like the idea of being able to say they survived getting home from work. I don't need that story. I've it's survived. Not that. It's yes. that New York is a city of efficiency. Yeah. That's really what it yeah. is. LA is not. It is not. I agree with that. <laughs> New but, York is a city of efficiency. So in your mind, you're just like, it's completely inefficient and impractical for me to take a cab that's going to cost me more and take longer when I can just take this train. So my friend sitting over there is from New Jersey, but he lived in New York, and he told me yesterday he hates getting on the train in L.A. because he feels shameful, versus New Yorkers will get on the sh- train all day long or a bus or a shuttle to go to Jersey, and it's just a thing it's to do. It's not the same. You have Why? Great, you have great teeth, by the way. Why? Um, Why? Is it not the same? What is a train shaming thing? I don't know that it's a train shaming thing, but I think that at the end of the day, like New York is a city of public transit, and this is not a city of public transit. But you got to get around how you got to get around. You get a $2 train versus fighting two hours of traffic to go 45, I mean, to go downtown. I didn't say it was logical. Right. Listen, you wanted an explanation, I gave you But one. that's the weird shit about L.A. Because I will say, I even said recently on an interview that L.A. reshaped my idea of what beauty was until I went to New York and saw, not to say that women in L.A. aren't real women, but in New York, I saw real women with real bodies, real beauty. And it was a reset for me. And that's what I love about New York. Where are you from? Stockton, Northern California. Oh. Lots of real bodies. I was going to say. Lots of real. Real, real. Bate. Them bodies is real. And they real. Yeah. Real everything. Rectangular. <laughs> no, no, I love Stockton. But yeah. I mean, I think um, I, I always say that New York makes artists. L.A. makes stars. Mm. And I think, you know, that's kind of just a a metaphor for what you're talking about, yeah. right? Like there's a certain raw grit and realness that happens from coming up in New York yeah. um, that doesn't necessarily happen in the same way here. I'm not saying that you don't gotta go through shit if you're here already, but if you're somebody who is trying to make it here in the entertainment business, I feel like there's a different expectation from you than when you're in New York. Yeah. And that whole like real bodies, real thing, like that advances in New York in a way that fakeness doesn't like authenticity wins I feel like authenticity wins everywhere but in New York in particular like you not going you're not going to crack it if you come through with the fakey wakey right so uh, what I've always been fascinated with you besides the fact that you literally will say whatever you think and you get the craziest reaction which I'm tickled by because I love sharing the space of people getting attacked for just having free thought in America but I was always fascinated by your journey of, of, of blackness, your blackness, because I wasn't aware you had a master's degree in African-American studies. Did your journey in becoming so woke or, or connected to your blackness start with education, your community, or the industry? I mean, it started at home. I've all, I was raised in a black-ass home. Mm-hmm. I mean, Grenada as a country is a black-ass country. If you look up like there's this famous speech that uh, revolutionary Maurice Bishop of Grenada that he did where he was talking to a whole room of folks about how America was so worried about Grenada having a revolution because unlike Cuba, Grenadians are 
black and, and English speaking. Mm-hmm. Like there are black people in Cuba, but Grenada as a country is a black country and it's all English speaking. So they'd be able to align with the freedom fighters in America in a way that other countries that may have had the same values wouldn't be able to. And I really like feel like a lot of people don't understand that about like the islands. Like there's a real great sensibility and pride in like the black folks mm-hmm. and being black in these islands. And so like I grew up in that. My mom um, was always playing Bob Marley and, you know, all types of reggae and all types of my mom loves pop culture. So I was exposed to black, just all types of black music. And I mean, this might be woo woo. And, you know, so you could take it or leave it. But. I just feel like I've been here before. And so when I got here, like I already knew who I was, mm-hmm. which is very discomforting to people who don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, because it comes off as arrogance when it's really just like an inner peace. When you say that, explain what that means for the people who are. My soul has been here before. Mm-hmm. Like there's a certain restlessness that you have when, you, when you've been here for the first time. Like I have friends and we talk about this and they're like, I'm here for the first time, girl. I'm, t- I'm looking around, I'm saying things. But like. I feel like I always had a connectivity to my blackness. Like I never had to learn it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's still to this day so discomforting to me when like people who I feel are community don't see me as community. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, I like, I never not felt like this about right. you, you know? And um, as I went through school and you know, my mom had me in like, like even though my mother is from Grenada, like she still understood that I'm in America and the black America is a different experience. So she had me in like extracurricular activities, you know, the McKnight Achievers in Orlando and, you know, making sure that I'm hanging around black children and I always had a black doll. I mean, my mom, my mama went, went like went up to a lady in a Walmart parking lot who had a black, a black child in the stroller holding a white doll and was like, why did I have a white doll? And I'm like, you're doing too much. <laughs> You're doing too much. <laughs> and she's like, you have to understand the efforts that I had to go through to get you a black dog. This is in the parking lot? Yes. Like, <laughs> but she's like, yo, like, you know, I, I knew that it was so important for you to have black representation that she was like, I mean, I really like made it my business to find the one black Barbie that I would have on the shelf or my Keisha doll, et cetera. And so that was always apparent. And then I went to. So did, so is that when you first saw the importance of. Standing in your blackness, valuing your blackness, acknowledging your blackness? I would say that I like first was able to like truly understand that in high school. Mm -hmm. Like I was doing that early on because I was in the entertainment business. Like my first job was at Disney and it was a sparkling Christmas spectacular. Must be Santa, must be Santa. And (laughs) Were you the only black girl doing that? Yes. Okay. And they let me know that at every second that they could. Did they? That was my first time experiencing racism. Any second they could. You know you're only here because you're black. You know they only passed you because you're black. They wanted them black. They said that on set? These are little 10-year-olds in Florida. They, you know, they raised them racists up early, baby. Were these, were these Ron DeSantis' uh, grandkids? Or? I mean, what's sad is that, like, these are regular, like, this is just the, the surrounding. Right. And I remember, like, we had to do Secret Santa. <laughs> and um, my Secret Santa gave me a half-open candy tube with Goofy on the top. And, like... <laughs> I knew innately then. Right. Oh, this is racist. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this motherfucker just gave me a half of a tube of candy from Secret Santa. Like, I knew innately that was racist. Even though no one said it to me, I knew 
this is racist. There was a little kid named Patrick. You take me back. You take me back. There was a little the kid. There was a little kid named Patrick, and I remember I was sitting on my caboodle, and he was sitting across from me, and he um. He kept kicking my caboodle, his little blonde bitch. And he kept <laughs> kicking my caboodle. And I said, do it again, and we're going to have a problem. You know, I give people opportunities, yeah. okay? Yeah. And he said, oh, we're going to have a problem? <laughs> and y'all, like, <laughs> I launched, and, like, I had nails at the time. Like, I, like, I don't know, I said nails. And I was like, Hee! and I, like, dug into his arm. And he was like, Aah! but out the corner of my eye, I saw our chaperone, a sister named Jennifer. She was, ha- she was smiling. She let it rock for yeah. like. <laughs> she know, did, she, she let, did that for the culture. She let, yeah, she let it. I saw her let it rock and then be like, oh, okay, let's break it up, break it up, break it up. But she let me have that. She let me have that, you know. And he was the one who was always like, you're just here because you're black. You're black. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people, they don't understand, like, at that moment in my life, and for those people, I think I was like the darkest version of a person right. they had seen. But that's, see, that's something I can relate to because in the seventh grade, I had a similar experience where this boy was harassing me for being black. I was in a school with probably two other black people in a city called Oakdale. And I remember saying if he did something to me, I was going to fight him. And he got on the bus and he spit in my face. And it was like this deep loogie spit where he sucked every piece Have of Have you gone sp- to therapy for this? I've whooped his ass for that. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but, so- I, but I remember, and, and sometimes where I, because I want to go back to what you said earlier about like some people saying, you know, challenging your blackness or whatever, that he saw me as black. I feel like they saw me as black. And now I see me as black and I love being black and I'm a champion of black, but I'm constantly fighting with my own people to defend and validate my blackness. Is, what, what is that? Oh, that's white supremacy. But why don't our people see that colorism or whatever that is is created by white supremacy? Because that's not colorism. Colorism only works one direction. You know, that's just, that's internal prejudice, right? But colorism only works one direction. Like, there's no reverse colorism. Colorism works in the direction of the darker your skin, the less you're seen as valuable because the further you are away from whiteness. So so when Mariah Carey talked in her book about experiencing... I guess it's prejudice from people who are darker skin, forcing her to validate her her blackness and me feeling that way. That's fucked up. Okay, but it's not colorism. But it's okay. So colorism is only one way. Yes. Got it. That is us as black people taking the weight off of white people for making us hate our own community. Mm -hmm. Like colorism is the responsibility of white people. It's not the responsibility of black people who benefit from it. Does that make sense? Yes. In the way that. Some people give it to us. Now, I will say it's our responsibility to be conscious of when we're benefiting from it and how we can create space. It is absolutely our responsibility. But I think sometimes it gets misappropriated in the sense that um, there's this idea that all light-skinned people are, are perpetuating this idea that light skin is better, and that is simply right. not the case. It's also not true. Right. And um, white supremacy has a very... Uh, skillful way it's like it, i don't know if you if you're watching this show um the last of us on no. on hbo it's about zombies who basically there's a pandemic but the pandemic is fungus and the fungus grows and it's able to take over people's minds and control them and it can reach into any crevice and cracks and places that's what white supremacy does it's a fungus that has grown and creeped into every crevice and crack and space of this world to control it and we haven't yet figured out how 
or what the anecdote is for that fungus, but we see it even in our own community as we are also fighting. Have you experienced the fungus or, or is it an ongoing thing? You see my comments. I do, but I also, but I look at it probably more objectively than the comments. I don't really stay in the comments because I know you're educated. I know you're speaking on topics that people don't want to speak on and you're saying them in a way that the construct of mainstream and the ecosystem of how the media works does not permit most folks to do. So I get that, right? I don't mm -hmm. think the average person gets that though. Why do you think somebody who's mastered African-American studies, who's clearly been pro-black in everything that you've done, so it's consistently in the surface, why are you consistently challenged? By because the I am consistently challenging. Mm -hmm. If I was out here just like being cute, no one would have an issue with me. Right. You know, I think there's a certain level of like, um, I'm, I think sometimes I'm misunderstood because there's this thought process for some people that like, if you benefit from any type of privilege and you really shouldn't have shit to say. Um, but where's the privilege? Is it the education? Is it like, uh, I have a bunch of privilege. Okay. I mean, I have light skin privilege. I've had education privilege. Some might say I have pretty privilege. <laughs> um, but I don't think pretty privilege is a bad thing. I mean, if you ugly, you just have to embrace that. Because everybody's not going to be cute. That's, and that's okay. Jason. No, because even when I was overweight, I still had a cute face. So when people say, oh, you're fat, I'd be like, but I'm still cuter than you. I mean, that reality is like, <laughs> some things are assigned to you, yeah. right? So like people right now would be like, oh, you have celebrity privilege. But that's assigned to me. Right. You know, like I didn't seek that out. Like I didn't do a sex tape to get that. Like I didn't do some. You did shit. a whole dialysis commercial. Now, <laughs> now that that is what that is what made you famous. Yeah. But I didn't even know you did a dialysis commercial at eight years old, which it's we're, we're making light of the experience. But you did a dialysis commercial. That was your that's your claim to fame, at least around here. <laughs> no, I just I think that. If you're somebody who challenges, then by nature, you're inviting people to challenge you. And it took me a while to just kind of be comfortable with that reality. Like, I used to really, like, take it personal. And Charlamagne would always just be like, I don't know what the problem is. Like, why? You always thinking that people, I have to do the list. <laughs> I have to do the list. He's like, you always thinking that, like, people are not going to say something. They're always going to say something. <laughs> Why would, why, you know, they're looking for a co-host at the Breakfast Club, you, you know, another one. You wouldn't do, you wouldn't. I live in Los Angeles. Yeah, but you could go, you could Baby, go. Baby, I have my own show. I know, but. I, I, I have my own show. Okay, I know, you, I got the Jason Lee show, but I would do the Breakfast Club. It's fun. I'm in my soft girl era. What is that? <sighs> the soft girl era is an era. <laughs> it's an era of peace. <laughs> it's an era of serenity. It's an era of chosen battles and it's an era of like self-knowledge. And I'm just not at a point anymore where I really want to answer to people. So even though those are my brothers, it feels beautiful to be in a space where I'm, I'm the final decision. Yeah. I always <laughs> say independence or owning your own shit is just a level of freedom that, I mean, you, you can't buy. It's also a whole other level of responsibility yeah. and obligation. And so once you reach a point where you're able to balance that and it's not like taking you out the game, it feels very freeing. So at this point, I love that I can have the Amanda Seal show. I think there's also an excitement that I have in building up this show from the ground up and getting to see it grow from, I mean, we started in November in Philadelphia and already we're in eight cities, yeah. you know, and getting to see it grow based on like my creative vision, on my 
uh, my ethos that it's my responsibility to share information with my community. Like these are things that I think are just intrinsically Amanda and that I want to see develop. And if I was on the Breakfast Club, like I'm coming into what they've grown. Yeah, and it's a format already set. Yeah. Yeah, and there would be an expectation of who you should be there versus you developing your own format and being who you are and doing it the way you want and being in full control. But isn't it, for the people who are watching, you know, ownership of your own shit is not for the weak. It is a, it is a pain. You will go through a hard girl era. Yes. Like, <laughs> what was that? What was the hard girl, hard girl era for you in developing the Man of Steel show? It wasn't really developing the Man of Steel show. It was developing the Man of Steel's brand. And honestly, it took me up until last year to admit and commit to, some, to calling myself a brand. Because mm -hmm. I was really Just like, a year ago? Yeah, because before it was like, I'm doing stuff. And I had Smart Funny, Smart Funny in Black, and that was really my outward-facing brand. And it was just like, ooh, my name? That's a lot. He's going to put my name everywhere. <laughs> what, what, what was the fear? That, that you had to own the response to it or that it was going to define you in, in a way that... I think if I'm honest with myself, it's a bit of both of those, as well as just um, it feels very narcissistic. Like, it feels very, like... <laughs> I'm me, look at me. <laughs> and so that is something I have ardently like run from because I see so much in this town of people like living off of that, like thriving off of that. And it's completely empty. Surviving off of that. Yeah. And it's yeah. empty. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's pointless. It doesn't do anything for the world. I mean, I don't know where we go after this, but like while I'm here, I feel like we're supposed to do stuff for here. So I want to be like living in something real. And that just made me, it just, I just had this, in, I had this version of it that made me feel like it was fake. Mm. And um, I don't know, like it, it took my team around me. It took, the, it took like sitting around the pandemic. It took, you know, realizing that I didn't want to pursue the regular path of Hollywood in the way that I thought I did mm -hmm. to start considering just another route and at the end of the day it's like who better to bet on than yourself mm -hmm. so put your fucking name in the, in the show well, well the reason why i created the jason lee show is because who else going to host the jason lee show it's mine you know and Touché. when you own your own shit like the real we're gonna get into that in a minute when it didn't get real and it wasn't real no more it's almost like they could shuffle anybody in but chemistry is chemistry real is real you know and but the amanda still show you can't replace you with that you can't replace me with that and so for ownership i wanted to create a space where i owned it i if it didn't work for you anymore that means i, I if i don't work for you anymore this doesn't work for you and yeah. i knew that if i believed in myself that i would get the numbers and i would do all that as i'm sure you do so have you worked past that now we're like it's all amanda seals or nothing yeah okay good i get it now yeah and i know i also just had to have people like that i trust like say for me plainly uh you have established yourself not only within the marketplace, but that within yourself. You know who the hell you are. So why are you determining, why are you basing this on like what other people do? Mm -hmm. You know what you do. So when you were doing Smart, Funny, and Black, are you still doing that? Of course, yeah. Okay, so when you created that brand, the idea was to give us a platform to, to share space, to talk about and celebrate and have fun with the things that were important to our culture. Did mm -hmm. you feel that... Did you feel seen by mainstream? Not that that was a goal, but did you feel 
that you had an impact in that ecosystem that is important to driving more visibility to the hard work we're doing for our community? Say it in layman's terms. Do you feel like white people valued and respected what you were doing for the culture? I don't care, so I didn't yeah. pay attention. It was never important. I, it's never been important mm -hmm. to the extent that when they would invite, when they wanted to invite different like execs to the show from to watch it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was like, they need to buy a ticket. You don't get a free ticket to come spectate us doing us. You're getting, a, you're getting to come to the barbecue. Mm. Buy a ticket. And you need to sit in the- Let me get the, comfortable too. <laughs> and you need to sit in the audience. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna sit on the side in VIP mm. and look at the blacks clap. And sip on the free alcohol yeah, at the private no, bar. When we, when we get up and do the electric slide, you're gonna be uncomfortable so you're just gonna let the people <laughs> move you because <laughs> that's what we do. But like, that's how committed I am to, now like, I don't feel like that about my standup. You know, like it's different, but Smart, Funny and Black is very consciously created to be a safe cultural space for black folks. Mm -hmm. And it is on its surface, it's a game show, but at its depth, that's what it is. We've had so many folks come to the show that are black and said, I just realized that like, I didn't really get to really experience the full blackness of my culture, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I felt like I missed out on some of these jokes because I wasn't really getting it, you know, now I wanna explore. I need to go watch Friday, you know what I mean? Right, right. Like, yes, by Felicia is from Friday. I, I get it. No, not, I'm too- I get it, you mean, you wanted them to get yeah, it. Yeah, I want, yeah. because I, I think that there's, a, there's definitely a push by a lot of folks and, you know, we're seeing, when we see the effort being made by people like Ron DeSantis, by people like Governor Abbott, by people who are making this concerted effort to try to erase black culture, black history, that is in itself an example of just how powerful right. and how expansive our black culture is, right? So when we do Smart, Funny, and Black, it is to keep that alive and to keep that energy um, pulsating because I think it could very easily, we get drained, like, I created Smart Money in Black because I got tired of seeing just all types of negativity about black folks, whether it's the constant onslaught of police violence, whether it's the constant onslaught of just our own communities, you know, not having the resources to move outside of violence, um, you know, racism, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, we need to have a place where we celebrate mm -hmm. so we can balance. Like you come here, you, do, you, you come to Smart Money in Black show, it's gonna be like two hours minimum. You, it's like a revival slash HBCU homecoming slash um, cookout. You're going you gonna to have the time of your life. You're going to leave sweating and you're like, okay, I'm ready to get back in the game. Like, I feel like during the 60s when they were marching, like if they had Smart, Funny, and Black to like go to, they, they, they would have tried to bomb it. But, <laughs> but our people were, were doing in church what I think we were doing, which it, we're doing, which is like getting rejuvenated with each other's energy to like come back into the fight. But inviting white people or mainstream in doesn't mean you have to sell out. Because as you know, when you're building something like that for us, we always, I mean, you have a lot of support, but we all don't always show up to support black, right? And I feel like sometimes when you're building something for the culture, it, it, it could only help to enhance the reach or the accessibility or the visibility of it if you do allow some of the mainstream brands to participate. So like, do you let, do you build it with the idea of making as much money as you can or make as much impact or both? 
Because as a business person, I do, I do look at the bottom line because I'm in, I'm in the business to make money too. I compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. Some things are for making money. Some things for, are for making joy. Some things are for making joy by making money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I choose, you know, how I, how I want to place certain things. Smart, funny, and black has never been an entity that's about making money first. At the end of the day, we need to make money to sustain and also so we can pay the folks who are a part of the show. Right, right, right. So I'll tell you a story. Like we, uh, I partnered with Kevin Hart's production, production company, Heartbeat, as well as Jesse Collins Entertainment, and we were gonna do Smart Funny in Black as a Juneteenth special. We took it out, we shopped it around town um, to a number of networks, and a network approached us and said, okay, we wanna, we wanna do it, but we're gonna give you 225 cents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and because that's the reality people don't know is that people will invest in the culture, but it's at the very low, low, low to where yes. you can't even turn the lights on with that. And so I was like, well, okay, this is their starting number, right? So let's like play along and let's, you know, do the budget, redo the budget. Like let's negotiate. They would not budge. They mm -hmm. would not budge. They would not budge. And I had to make a decision because... Like Stan Lathan was going to direct, but they didn't want to pay his fee. Mm -hmm. How you don't want to pay the legendary Stan Lathan's right. fee? Right. And ultimately, if we had done the show, I would have been able to guide it. I would have been able to get it on a network. And maybe, you know, that also would have then made my star rise, et cetera. But in that process, I would have had to ask black creatives to do favors on Juneteenth. Right, right. <laughs> For a right. Juneteenth special to air on a network that ultimately is putting millions into the pockets of white people and whose millions I'm not going to get a, like, they're going to sell ads out the ass right. on this. I'm not going to get a piece of it. And there was no back-end money or nothing? You're never, they're not going to give you the back-end in the way that you should have the right. back-end, you know, because they already know. So I had to make a decision and it was like, it was just a very difficult decision to make. I remember I was sitting on the back of a golf cart going to the set of $500,000 Pyramid when I got this call. And I had to just, you know, I had to just say, like, you know, we can't do it. And then tell Strahan hello. I mean, it was just like... Did you feel defeated? Mm-hmm. And I felt defeated for... I, I, at this point, I'd learned, like, I'll give myself defeat for, like, a day. Mm -hmm. I'll give 24 hours of defeat. And it'll be like... Is know. it because it's happened so much and now it's just like... I play my sad white girl playlist. It's like Fiona Apple, Sarah McLaughlin, Brandi Carlisle. Is know. it because it's happened so much? Or, or because you, you just know like it's a part of the process? Both. Because I don't think people really understand being black, being creative, being an independent, no. uh, free mind in this city is like the plague. It's also dumb. It's like impractical to be those things in this city. But if that's who you are, that's who you are. Yeah, yeah. You know what but I mean? Is it dumb? It's impractical. So I think when I think impractical, I think dumb. It's like if you come into Hollywood like, I'm going to be as black as I want to be and I'm going to be creative and I'm going to be innovative. They're like, oh. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> Relax, little yeah. lady. Relax, yeah. blackie. Um, <laughs> they don't say it, but they teach you by the way they treat your creativity. By absolutely. Right. And so I, you know, had so in that impracticality, though, I had to start being more real with myself about like, what are you actually going to do? And 
how are you going to make this work for you in a way that doesn't drain you? Now, don't get me wrong. I was very fortunate to be on Insecure, which allowed me to have a certain level of financial stability that I think allowed me the opportunity to like get clear with myself. You know, not having bread and having to constantly be worrying about money for a creative. Like, I'm not a starving artist. I don't like that shit. Like, yeah. it's always been incredibly debil debilitating for me. So when I finally got to be able to have a certain level of stability, it allowed me to be clearer about what do you actually want. Mm -hmm. And then I went through 2019, which just was just a terrible and great year at the same time. But it let me know, like, okay, now that you've gotten all the things that people have said you're supposed to have, you got a special, you got, you know, you got your HBO special, I'd be knowing, you got your on um, small doses. You got your podcast, Small Doses. You got your book, Small Doses. You're going on tour. You have a show, Bring the Funny, on NBC. Um, you know, you have all these things. But, like, why are you not happy? Mm -hmm. um, and it's because, for me, I feel like a lot of us put so much work into the grind that we're not working on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So then when you get the success, now you have time to find out... <laughs> <laughs> It's me. My shit's it's fucked me. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the problem is me. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> so, you know, that hits you like a fucking can of bricks. I mean, a, t a ton of bricks. I mean, life comes at you fast. But now I've gotten clearer in the fact that I'm just like, you know, I don't, I, I, I committed myself to pitching shows for a year. I'm going to pitch shows. I'm going to sell these shows. <laughs> they were like, ma'am, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, y'all, y'all don't want my shows, but I have great ideas, I have great, I have great shows. But even though when you list all of those accomplishments, which are huge, which are huge, a successful podcast, a book, being able to tour and have people come out and buy a tickets. A book and paperback as well. Let me just. But I'm just that. saying to be able to have all those accomplishments. They don't care. Because I was getting ready today, and 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 uh, somebody on my team asked me, have I celebrated? Like even getting here right now, and I haven't because I'm so in the grind of what I'm selling next, what I'm doing. Do you feel like did you not celebrate any of that? No, I did. did? I did. Okay. I did celebrate that. You know, there were bumps on the way that infringed upon that celebration, but I did celebrate that. Mm -hmm. But then we hit. Then we. I celebrated it. Then I had a nervous breakdown. Then we had a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> then I had a miscarriage. Then I had vocal surgery. Like then wow. we, um, then I, I, I mean, I got back with my college sweetheart. Like you know, life just like it's like bullet points of yeah. like. Um, I mean, when I write the second book, y'all, it's gonna be crazy. But it's this, <laughs> you know. You so I, I, I did all of that, all that, all that, all that, and then you know where I landed? I landed back at YouTube. Like this year, I'm investing in my YouTube because I was really looking at YouTube as like, oh, that's a good place for influencers. And then people started pointing out to me like, well, no, I mean, it's a place for people who like to like make shit, make it fast and get it to the people fast without having to go through these outside channels. And I was like, oh. And so then I expanded my podcast, Small Doses, to video. And then we have other content on there. And like I'm investing in that space because it is my own space. Yep. And that doesn't stop me from also still dabbling and dancing in Hollywood. I yeah. just sold a show the other day. Well, congratulations. <laughs> there wasn't a role for me because I absolutely did not get a call to participate. So the way <clears throat> selling shows works <laughs> is that it will take two years yes, to develop. <laughs> for us to get to casting. But I'll keep you in mind now that well, I know. Well, congrats. Congrats. I mean, that's huge. But let's go back to something you said about... That's huge, but also... No, no. Because you said something that I thought was profound as people that are in therapy, because I'm in therapy, I'm working on myself. Um, 
where you realized that, that some, some of it was you. What part of your obstacles that you ran into did you realize or discover was your own doing? So I really thought codependency only showed up one way and then you start to realize that there's like a myriad of ways codependency is showing up like in you just like attaching yourself to situations that really aren't the best for you like you um, misreading your separation anxiety as like some like messaging from God <laughs> or like some gut instinct. And it's Everything like, is a message from God. <laughs> and then you you like start to understand better and you're like oh I had, okay, so I had that wrong. Um, I would say I also, I also just feel like I've had to consistently work on like the fact that how I deliver is not always how I intend. Mm -hmm. And there's only so much of that you can control because like perception is personal. Like I, you, you just can't control how everybody perceives you, but you can at the very least be more conscious about like what is your actual like goal in this delivery. Or what's in your intention? Yeah, what's your intention? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I think I've just always been like a very direct person and I think I have a bit of neurodivergence just in the way that I deal with like social exchanges and it's taken a lot of work for me to be better at like even bringing softness into how I deliver. Like I have so much love and I have so much compassion, but I feel like it ends up sometimes coming in as like, this is love, this is compassion. But Judge, Ju <laughs> Judge, Judge Judy doesn't have that problem though. Well, Judge Judy's an old white lady and they've made it like, you know, cool. She's also like not But like, what we tune in, I tune on my calendar every single day is a four o'clock placeholder for Judge Judy. But like once I'm a 70 year old like woman, you'll probably do the same thing for me. Like it it's cute when you, oh. But being young, black, smart, and a woman, it's not. No, like Dick Gregory, like in his age, like in his old age, was cursing everybody out. Right. Dick Gregory cursed me out. Really? Yeah, I cursed him out back, but he, you know. <laughs> but he definitely cursed me out. And everybody was like, I mean, it's Dick Gregory. But why can't we celebrate real? Because real is rare and sometimes the truth does hurt. And I feel like I, I am in my own journey of discovering delivery because delivery does close some people's minds. But then you also want to make sure that the authenticity of what makes 1, you Amanda Seals yes. has to always be there too. I just think that we do celebrate realness. There's just people that don't. And one thing I had to like really like hold my Instagram, <laughs> like my social media following accountable for was like, y'all are letting the negative be louder than the positive. If you really rock with me, like y'all need to be just as loud, if not louder, when you see these people. Cause I turned off my comments for a year because I was like, y'all, you don't deserve it. Was it because of us? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like we're the wait because of who black folks. Oh, I, well, it was. I was like, not, wait, not who, us who? Hollywood Unlocked. <laughs> I was like Hollywood Unlocked. No, but like um, the no, comments. you are actually pretty kind to me. Yeah. Um, no, it was because of just folks. Like mm -hmm. I won't even just say black folks, but like people were just very disdainful, and the ethos for a lot of folks is like, oh, that's crazy, and they keep it moving. And my thought process is like, if you see crazy, if you see terrible, if you see nasty, and you just let it rock, and you don't at least say like. Hey, that's not cool. Right. You're in, you're encouraging it. You're mm -hmm. enabling it. Mm -hmm. And we have this crazy wild wild west of an internet. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not letting y'all in that space. And so for a year, the only people that could comment on my page were the people I was following. Yeah. Oh, it gets real quiet on Instagram then. I mean, people. Well, there was enough response where people were like, 
I want let me in. Yeah. Let me in. Yeah, but that's a good thing. You get to take that mental break if you change just a couple settings. And then I brought it back and it was a different energy. And I really um, have been thriving in a much more supportive base. There's still detractors because there's always going to be, but I feel like there's a much more supportive. Um, I feel like also I've just been here long enough now where there's, a lot, there's like a, a larger audience of folks that do understand like, oh, like you've been consistent. Right. Like this, this isn't, this isn't, isn't for play play. Yeah, yeah. But did that happen when you joined TikTok? Because I feel like when you joined TikTok, that's how I would, because I have a TikTok, but I don't TikTok yet because I just, I'm annoyed by it. I don't. But I love how you do your TikTok. I love that you'll take an issue and put it behind you. And I don't know if you're driving or wherever. It's just your <laughs> hair moving in the background and your comment on it. And I feel like that's, I don't see a lot of people doing that. I know people do it, but I, I love when you do it because it's the shit that I'm thinking too and want to say. I just don't have the bandwidth to want to sit there and do it. I mean, I've had to like make decisions in this, in this process, right? Like, what are you going to make a part of your bandwidth? If you are independent, you're an independent thinker, independent artist, independent creative, you're going to have to find time to do stuff to support the um, efforts of your brand and of your work. And when like that became something that was like so small, but like also could be just so, con it, con it adds to the consistency. Um, like even on my Patreon, the Amandaverse, like we understand that like those people that come to the Patreon either just have some extra change and support my work. So they'll like put the little $5 to it or they're like really like, I wanna hear everything you have to say. Mm -hmm. So we make an effort to like, expand conversations there that we don't necessarily do on Instagram. Like yeah. I, I don't want to use my, I'm not going to talk about Meg Thee Stallion and Corey Lanes for free. Yeah. <laughs> Did you call him Corey Lanes? <laughs> That's how uninterested she is <laughs> when she gives a man a whole new name. Oh. Tori. Blame it on Rock Nation. <laughs> <laughs> I just met Jay-Z this past week. I'm trying to get into the brunch without sneaking in. No, um, I agree. And what I love about the Patreon, because we're joining there too, is that now you can feed the people who actually support you, who actually want to show up and actually want to hear what you have to say. And well, all of these places become like, for an independent creative, like all of these places become like your storefront properties. Yeah. But you use it just as distribution to promote everything else. You use it for that, but you also use it to remind folks of like what you actually do. And I think for me, having the syndicated radio show now is the first time that I've ever been like backed by a larger company mm -hmm. in my authentic voice. Mm -hmm. There have been other, there have been larger companies that have been like, oh, like for instance, like the real, the real brought me on. I thought because they wanted my authentic voice, but like that really wasn't what they wanted, right? right? So like it didn't work out. But this is a situation where the encouragement, the support, is almost. I, I find myself on a regular basis like, these people really fucking like me, bro. Right. It's a black company, and even the white people at the black company know how to act. They know that they had a black company. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. The white people at the black company are like, we know we're at a black company. <laughs> so we have a responsibility. You know what I'm saying? So you, see, this is why I like talking to people who talk, because y'all know how to segue. Because the real, let's talk about the real. I saw you at Kevin Hart's... Uh, I don't know about barbecue. I don't know what that was. It was a brunch. It was a brunch. They actually served food. But Netflix paid for it. That was more than a brunch. That shit was at some mansion that overlooked all of Los yeah. Angeles County. You were there with your man. Yes. 
Lonnie Love was there. I never saw you two in one single frame together. She definitely bombarded and got a selfie. She got a selfie. She bombarded. <laughs> she came and up and was like, ding. I was like, all right. So you didn't want to give it to her? It wasn't that. It was just, it wasn't like we were tumbursing and then it was, most people would be like, hey, you want to take a selfie? <laughs> like, that's what most people will do. But she just got in caught to hitting because she didn't know. Now, this is the part of the interview where Jason gets tricky. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is the part. No, I'm not. I'm just. All up until this point, it's like, we're chatting. Look at no, my socks. Look, we're chatting. Yeah, I got it. This is when Jason's like, I had to get comfortable. let's get tricky. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, if I had to be real. No, so. I saw you at the barbecue and I remember going up to you at the thing and I was like, yo, you know, Lonnie's here. She had just pulled me aside. I was surprised she spoke to me because I've been very, very vocal about Lonnie, at least my perception of her. I said she was a mean girl, at least from watching her on TV and the internet. And then Lunell was on my podcast before and she said she was a mean girl. The realest and, bitch and ever. I, and I've known Lunell for like 30 years, yes. so like I don't know her to be a liar. So I just really didn't know what the whole was going on. Actually, I owe Lunell a text. I, I need to hit her back. So then... I saw you guys at the barbecue and, you know, I'm kind of sitting back, eat my chips or whatever, my hummus, watching y'all. And, and you're, you're not in the same area, so I didn't know what was going on. So did you, is Lonnie the mean girl that everybody says she is? Or at least everybody in my world says she is. Adrian and Jeannie are my girls. <laughs> because the other thing that... Lonnie said to me at the barbecue was that she respected what I've built because she's not been allowed the freedom to, and when you all are on this show, you guys were not allowed the freedom to be who you wanted to be or say what you wanted to say. I'm just kind of summarizing what she was saying. She's basically saying that like she respects the level of freedom that I have being an independently owned business to say and do whatever I want. Can I be frank with you? Yes. I do not want to spend this lovely interview Talking about Lonnie. No, it's not all about her. I just want to know if, like, <laughs> is she the main girl everybody says, though? That's not for me to sit here on okay. this time to so, say. So, you know, I know that. If she comes in, you'll in take a selfie with her. In my soft girl existence, um, I am on a high vibration. Got it. Okay. And Jeannie and Adrian have been emphatic supporters mm -hmm. of me from day one at that show. And. To the point where even when the show was done and there was a real weird omission of me, right? And people in the were, end. Yeah, and people were like, why, why am I in there? Why, why am I in there? Was that erasure? Yeah, yeah. A white, you know, angry white lady. Um, and they made it their business to take their time to do an Instagram Live to be like, no, that was not okay. And, you know, you need, you need people to do that. Yeah. You know, that we live in such a visual medium of a world. We live in such a gossip, fill-in-the-blanks world that, like, you just need people to actually just do the thing and say the thing. And so many folks aren't willing to do that because of fear, mm -hmm. you know, because of the fear of how it's going to, like, maybe negatively impact them or because of the fear of, like, what they're not going to get. But that's really about their own insecurity of what they can actually control. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what makes certain people mean girls or, you know, fronters, you know, it's fear. Mm -hmm. And I don't live in that kind of fear. I, I don't, I know that I'm protected by a higher power 
And I know that I'm also like moving in purpose. I know that I come from a place of kindness. And even if that doesn't show up in the tone sometimes, or, you know, maybe, maybe people misread something like that's where I'm coming from. And I know that. Mm -hmm. So I try my best to really just like associate at this point in my career with like the people who get that. You always see me with the same people. So that's why like, you're not gonna see me with certain people, but just be not because I don't like them or because you know, they funny style or whatever, but it's just because like, they haven't established that with me. Mm -hmm. I stay close to the people that have established that with me or who desire to like, establish that with me. Mm. And it took a long time for me to just like, be like, realize that like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be everybody's friend. Right. I don't need approval from all these people. It's a quantity over quality situation. Thanks. It's a quality over quantity situation. Right. Now I understand what you mean. So when you say Jeannie's your girl, you know, now she's married, has a baby, she's with Jeezy. She got the dark meat because she used to like the dark meat on the side. When you saw clips like that, as woke as you are, and that's your girl, did you have to take time to say, girl, you can't say you like the white meat with the dark meat on the side. Just say you like meat. I think sometimes when you're in those situations on these shows, like you're really under pressure to like try and be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not like an actual comedian <laughs> who has like material prepared, it could fall flat. It can fall flat. Yeah. It can also like, you know, you can just get in the moment. Like what we're doing right now is not even easy in itself. Like yeah. people may think, oh, like they're just having a conversation, but like there's an actual like in real time strategic navigation to get through this conversation yes because we because you, you just the soft girl approach to the whole Lonnie love thing is definitely different than what I thought was coming but that's great that you're standing in your truth and you gave her grace and you don't always get credited for giving people their grace that was grace I give a lot of people their grace I know but you don't get credited for it I don't yeah. people don't understand that the reason why they don't know my side of things is because I'm being very fucking misty on point graceful okay <laughs> I'm giving a lot. You're choosing to be smart, funny, and black. Yeah, I'm giving a lot of grace yeah. out here. The way that I have been like lambasted by people with their just filling in blanks on situations, yeah. it's like. So you said that you said that Adrian Adrian's been supportive of Hollywood Unlocked from the beginning. Jeannie actually really enjoyed her, I like her a lot, and like her love her mom. And when I was on the show, they were nice to me. Um, you didn't mention Tamara though. You, what was your relationship with her? That's not my gal. Mm. But you know, you're not, you know what I think though? Like that's not, that's not a headline. Just so for whoever's watching is like, <gasps> like that's not a headline. Like we all work at places and we like, this is my people, this is my people. Like I go to meetings with them. Like, you know, we, like that's just what it is. Like it's very rare that you find yourself in a workplace and like, everybody is your people. Like when I did Bring the Funny, we only did one season, but the judges on the show were Chrissy Teigen, mm. uh, Jeff Foxworthy, and Kenan Thompson. And I remember, I remember one day we had to come back for press and Chrissy was like, I'm like happy to see you guys. <laughs> like, this is weird. Like, I'm happy to see the people I'm working with. And we were all like, I know, it's crazy. Like it felt so rare to actually genuinely like everybody. Right. So I think people have this like perception of, of TV that it's going to be different than a workplace because it feels glamorous and it feels like such a privilege to even be able mm -hmm. to do it. But um, you can have chemistry, but not be friends. One million percent. Yeah. One million percent. You can have chemistry, not be friends. Um, you can also just be workplace. But yeah, 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 yeah. You know, now, do I have stories? Yes. What do you think about how her husband treats her? 
I don't know them to, oh, to speak to one? that. Oh. I know that they were very upset about your statements. Were they? Oh, yes. Really? But they actually saw what I had to say? Everyone sees what you have to say, Jason. Oh. No, I just, I just said that I felt that he allegedly, in my own opinion. We're not repeating it. Okay. <laughs> you can go Google it. We're not repeating it. Because ultimately. Well, I knew um, I, every time they pitched me for the real and I get rejected, I, I already knew what that was. But it's cool. I don't care. I just stayed on the outside and kept giving my real opinion. Because it gets real as fuck over here. Yeah, that wasn't a platform for that. I mean, yeah. it just, it wasn't. I mean, I feel like that, that honestly, it feels so long ago at yeah. this point because we, like pandemic years are like three years long. Yeah. <laughs> so Facts. that ended in 2020 and the fact that we're already in 2023, that feels like. The reason why I chose to bring it up because I, 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 when I talk to people, I don't like bringing up, oh, oh, oh shit because we've already worked through it and mm-hmm. then you're in a whole different place with this soft girl energy thing. <laughs> Um, that is question. I'm going to question that later because I don't mind if there ain't no soft nigga energy here. Um, the reason I bring it up is because I felt like the real needed you. I felt like it did. Af- I felt like after Tamar left, there it was kind of who started following me on Instagram the other day. Tamar? Hey, Tamar. <laughs> we need to have a well, tea. Lonnie did tell me at the barbecue she wanted to have a moment with Tamar and asked me to piece it up. And so I did call Tamar and she was like, absolutely the fuck hell no. So that's not happening. But um, I did, I did, um, Think that you were great for the show because the show started to feel like it was this fluffy thing that is what's existing now in daytime but i have to say something it was your extra interview that i live for where you were standing and that girl tried to play you in your face in my face in your in the audacity now you're new here i said like, hold up now little shorty <laughs> now come on were you listening to every word as they because like when you're being interviewed are you listening to every word to make sure that you catch it all because sometimes people won't, won't catch it but i watched you there i was physically watching you i've played it a hundred times <laughs> Because I'm watching your energy, your body language, everybody's body language next to you. And there's this clip online where they zoom in on people grabbing That was me. Your... I did that clip. Did you? Because it's funny. Like to see to see Jeannie like grab my hand and like Lonnie like, oh, hold on now. Hold on now. When she was playing you in your face though, what were you thinking? This bitch is playing me in my face. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Right. I mean, remember, I'm an actress. I'm a trained actress. So yeah. I listen like I'm trained to listen, yeah. right? So I can catch everything not without even a lot of effort. I'm just listening. And I'm like, she real comfortable. Like she said the first little slide mark where she, she was- She did two, she did twice. Right, yeah. she did the first little slide remark where she said, uh, you know, you're new here. And so- that, which, was, which for people watching was trying to put you in a place. Very much so. This was like, this is their 1000th episode, but you're new here. So you don't, you don't apply. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ah, all right. And um, it's like, bitch, you're new here, actually. Uh, and so she, you know, she kept talking. And then she said, oh, Amanda, you and Jeannie have butted heads on occasion. And I had to cut. You need to cut it. Because that narrative, <laughs> <laughs> like, that narrative is very damaging. And it's also not something I'm willing to accept from a white woman. You're da- butting Damaging heads. because she's saying that to a black woman standing next to an Asian woman that you were bullying or being negative or in some way trying to paint this angry black girl thing. I mean, I catch it because I'm black. I don't know if everybody caught that. That's what it was, though. Yeah. But the fact that you caught it in that moment and called it out was like, wow. That's the wow that I really admire and respect because it's educational wow. It's not <laughs> mean girl wow. It's like, hold on. Like, let Let's, me, that- you know. That's the academic training, I feel. Yeah. Like being able to, ah, and address. Because that's what you're doing when you're writing papers. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, 
Now I got to write a whole paper about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a comic, that's what I'm doing, right? Like I'm picking things that I want to and talk about. Like I'm about to do my next special and I'm ready to talk about gun control. I'm ready to talk about Roe v. Wade. I'm ready to talk about Ron to fucking Satan. I'm ready to talk about all these things. I'm also ready to talk about, you know, the difference between dating hood niggas and niggas from the hood. <laughs> I'm different. You know, I'm ready to talk about a number of things, but like these networks aren't ready to buy specials. Right. So like I have to do my own special. Mm-hmm. Like I have to fund it and put it out because it needs to be pulled out and I need to talk about it. And I can't wait for that opportunity I can't wait for that that space that needs to be created to to be based on like them. Mm-hmm. When I see the shit happening, it's got to be like up ah, in real time mm-hmm. and explained. When Jeannie grabbed your hand, was that the industry training on control yourself? No, no, no. Je- that was Jeannie comforting you. Yes. Okay. That was Jeannie like breathe. <laughs> <You saw. laughs> yeah, like I know I know you want to box her. I know. Cause you know Jeannie's from the Bay too. Like yeah. Jeannie, you know Jeannie's from the Bay. Like she ain't no slouch neither. And that was her being like, mm. because she heard it too. Yeah. Like we all hear, we all heard it. Yeah. You know, because we're all trained to listen for moments so that we can interject. Yeah. Mm. And so you, so when you left the show, or let's back up. When you thought, when you thought. Did this you is think, gonna be a two-part interview. Did you? No, this is no. Are we? Oh no. Let me tell you. We put forty-four minutes on Revolt. We put the whole thing on YouTube, and the YouTube goes crazy. <laughs> we just put the Laverne Cox was three hours. We'll figure it out. So when you're when you were you've done all the work, smart, funny, and black. You uh, small doses podcast book the tour. You had all that success, and then you get the real. Was that your thought that the mainstream ecosystem will take you where you want to go? Or was that just another job? I've talked about this in other places, but I had an epiphany in 2012, I think it was, uh, 2013, when when uh, 12 Years of a Slave came out. And I went and see 12 Years of a Slave, and I came out the theater, and I was like, oh, I'm done with this mainstream shit. Like, if I can't be as black as I want to be in the space, then I'm just not, it's not a space for me. And that was that. Like, so I, I left the idea of, like, wanting mainstream approval at that point. But... What the real meant for me was I had been on social media talking, 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 and it was like, oh, now I get to do this in like a real place, right? And there's an audience and there's a machine behind it. And so I think it like made me feel validated Mm -hmm. um, that my commentary like needed to be on a bigger platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's more so what it was. And it was also like, remember, I had been on Insecure for six, for five, five years, five right. seasons, playing a character. And so it was also like enticing to me to get to be myself. Mm-hmm. It, was the, it was the validating for me. That's what I was saying earlier. I'm not saying that we need to be validated by mainstream, but it's almost like because you are such a powerful voice in the culture, you're, you're, you're pro-black as fuck and you support everything black, that when the mainstream gives I'm gonna tell you, you what it is. I'm gonna just stop you right okay. here. You have your self-worth and there's your market worth. Mm. And those two things are not always aligned. Yeah. And there's certain stuff that you end up having to do to elevate your market worth, certain credits that you have to do, certain dues you have to pay. Mm-hmm. I've known who I am and my capabilities for a long time. But in order for the market to know that, I had to achieve certain accolades. And the real was one of those things. Mm-hmm. 
So now, even though I've always been talking about these things, well, now she talked about them on a TV show, though. Mm -hmm. So for the people who read the market versus just you as an individual, they need that. And that's a lot of what happens in this business. When you left the real, did it impact your personal invest, like your, your own independent wealth or what you thought or felt about yourself? Was there any... In a positive way. In a positive way. Yeah, because... Because you walked away. Well, because I walked away and I stood on mine. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like... I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't a brash decision. Like I had gone through a process where it was like, okay, I've given fair space and time for this place to respond to the things that I have acknowledged are problematic and that hasn't been the case. And so, you know, now I'm going to um, not renew my, like people, like even though I said this before, like we did an interview right after yeah. and I said this and people were like, she's lying! <laughs> because people can't imagine turning down a check. Or, or, or that platform. That was what I was gonna yeah. say, because, even greater. Because, because they see their own value in being acknowledged or validated by that. I don't even knock them for that, but they have to understand that I'm at a point in my career though, where I'm very lucky to be able to be like, nah, I'm good, and know that my bills will still get paid. Yeah. That wasn't always the case. Yeah. Um, and so when it came to that, I was just like, they asked, you know, can we have an extension in deciding to renew your contract? And we said no. Mm. And they were like, oh, wait, let's go talk to the exec. And my agent was like, no, we just spoke. That was the conversation. That's crazy, but not really. Also, shout out to my agent. I fucking love Matt. Is this not mad at ICM? No. Okay. I was going to say. Cause What's I funny is that they have the same name, but really? it's mad at CAA. Okay. Let's speak about Insecure. You were on Insecure the uh, six seasons? Five? five seasons, six years. Five seasons. What's your relationship with Issa right now? We don't have one. You don't talk? No. Okay. Because I've invited her here and I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing where I'm trying to figure people out. I've invited her, her to the Hollywood and Light World for four years. She's never come. And then I ran into her at Diddy's house and she said she never got the memo from Vanessa, which I know Vanessa's just an evil old woman. And that's her publicist. And so then I said to her, I was going to ask again. I've just asked for her to come on the Jason Lee show. And I thought I was just going to ask you to ask her. But if you're not friends with her, I won't ask you that. Okay. Was she insecure? No, I'm just playing. I'm just being funny. Let's move on. Um, comedian. Where do you get the courage to, first of all, I know you went to college and got your master's degree in African-American studies, but where did the drive to be masterful in all these different lanes of the industry come from? Because being a comedian is different. It takes a certain level of courage to, and, and confidence and drive to continue to get up there. Mm -hmm. You've been able to be successful at that and turn out crazy audiences to come out and see you. Author, writing, I mean, clearly you're intelligent. Like, where did you get the drive to be masterful in so many different lanes? Part of it is just like by necessity, you know, if, if you don't want to be controlled by others, then you better be busy creating spaces that you can control for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, for some folks, that can be all allocated into one streamlined area. For me, it ended up being across multiple mediums. And I feel like I'm a true artist at heart where it's like when the opportunity would arise to like try something else, it's like, oh, okay, let's see. Like, you know, at a certain point it was like, oh, you should try DJing. Like Beverly Bond was like, you know music, you should do DJing. I was like, okay, let's do DJing. You and know? you did that. Yeah, like DJ Envy like took me and like haggled so I could buy my But were you the DJ that like put your DJ, your music all together and then you just went up there and you were acting like you were playing? No, because... I have technique. <laughs> no. Because no, you could do that. 
I no, you're right, but I no. Because okay. if I you, you ever know, seen, but you should know, like I don't allow myself to claim a title unless I do the thing. Okay. Like people keep saying, like, oh Amanda, like you should direct, and I'm like, because ah, that's like a real thing, yeah. and I don't want to be the person who's just like standing behind the camera and saying like, yeah, that looks good, and calling myself a director. If you see Jason Lee, the DJ, I've pre-recorded the whole set list, and I'm pushing buttons and dancing. <laughs> some shit that I already made. Yeah, like, No, I'm blending. Like, I have my 1200s. Like, yeah. So do you do, do, do you do it now? Do you still do it? You know what? I DJ'd a party uh, last year. Shout out to Victor Duplay. And um, he said that people were asking him, like, yo, can I book a man to do a party? And I had to make a decision. Like, are you going to bring DJing back? Yeah. But I don't like the music of this era enough to want right. to. Right. I feel like this, the, like the, if you were doing a Prince and Michael Jackson set. Right. Like, right. I would love to have a party that I do, like, once every quarter that's called Nothing After 05. <laughs> right. That's the name so of the, the party. the 90s, the 80s. Nothing After 05. Yeah. You're not going to hear no little TikTok Uzi, rap songs. little baby, little... Not, you're not going to... You're not going to hear Listen. none of that. But like DJing was a thing that like to my to your point though it was like it came up the opportunity like arose for me to try it and then I was like oh I really like this and then it's like once I like it I've got to master it right so that's how the trend goes yeah once I like it I've got to master it and um, stand up was this, stand up was one of these things where it was like I'm looking at the landscape of shit and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and I was like pivoting out of hip hop and I was like. I don't know what I am. Mm -hmm. Like people are like, you do so many things, but it's like you don't do anything. I'm like, How you're the that? jack of all trades, but the master of none. I which hate which is that. like not an. There's like another line to that actually. So it's like people actually like. But I hate that whole line because it's almost like you have to only master and be known for one thing. But when you're a creative and you can do it all. People who made that lineup are people who are like only good at one thing. Right. You know, and they're like, how dare you be good at two or three things? <laughs> but for me. I looked at Chris Rock, Chelsea Handler, and, El and Ellen DeGeneres, and I was like, all of these people do what I want to do, which is I wanted to build, I wanted to build a multimedia moguldom based on my point of view. That sounds really tiring now, so I'm fine with my little, my little mini enterprise. Um, but it's not mini. You have, you have books that you, you have podcasts that turn into books. Books that's going to turn to movies. You just sold a show, so you <laughs> sold, you sold the show. That's now to be executive producer and creator of a show that's going to, I'm sure, employ black people, create black opportunity. Yes. Okay. So it's not little. Why it's would you like say? That, it's like that TikTok where it's like, it's not little business. It's big. Yeah. It's big. Stand up. Stand up. Well, yeah. And you brought right. up Ellen. So let's talk about Twitch because earlier you talked about suicide and having the thoughts of suicide early on. Well, let me just finish that thought, though. Okay. I had looked at all those people and was like, they all have a, a business model that I like, that I want, but they all did something that I didn't do. And it was like, I, they write books, I write books. They can host, I host. They act, I act. They do stand-up, ooh, mm -hmm. I don't do stand-up. And I, in like sciencing that, I realized like, if I can do stand-up and do it well, then it means I'm a comedian and all of these things now make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Individually, they didn't make sense. But as a comedian, people are like, well, you could host, right? And you can act, right? And you can write, right? When you're just doing those things without that heading, it's like people didn't know what to do. Mm. So that helped me to like find a clear umbrella for like all of these things that I wanted to do. And it also helped me find my tribe. Mm -hmm. Because all this time, I thought I, just, I wasn't likable. I thought I didn't like people. And then you meet comics and you're like, oh. 
I'm just a comedian. I'm one of you. I'm one of you. Why people don't like comedians because they're funny or because they No, comedians they don't like people. Got it. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a lot of patience for people. Especially people who aren't funny. We're like, oh my God, what's the point? But you all seem to have patience for each other though. Mm-hmm. Cause we're all crazy. Mm. And we understand our crazy. That's why, like, I cringe when people introduce me as an actress before a comedian because actor crazy is different than comedian crazy, and I'm a certain brand of crazy. I'm a comedian So crazy. actor crazy is Will Smith, comedian crazy is Chris Rock? Yep. Mm. So that makes sense to you? Absolutely. Mm. Yes. Got it. <laughs> it's just crazy. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Ellen and Twitch. So you look at Twitch, the happy, seemingly the happiest man on earth, got the family, got the kids, had the great show, platform, lots of love. My Facebook was flooded with every dancer who knew him and loved him, and then he just takes himself out. What did you make of all of that? I mean, there were people that were making all these conspiracy theories and whatnot, but I know that when I had my nervous breakdown, it was the morning of an episode of The Real. And I cried my way to that stage. Like, literally, it was like, <laughs> this is our time! <laughs> While the music's playing? Yes. And I got my ass to that table and I did a show. And nobody knew that inside I was having suicidal ideation. Mm. I, now I had three cornroses, which is what should have told y'all something. That's when y'all should have been like, something ain't right. Ready to set it off like Cleo. And that was the day that I had made a comment about Jesse Smollett that people are still like, I can't believe you said that. But I, I know as a performer, what a lot of people don't understand is that when you are a performer, it's like any other skill where you become so adept and so proficient that it doesn't require all of you to do it. Yeah. Right? Like there's a lot of people who have jobs that like they can sleep while they wait through the whole job, mm -hmm. you know? That's what ends up happening as a performer. Like Twitch could have done all that and still in his mind been in hell. Mm -hmm. And he can smile because that's a part of the choreography. Okay, that's fine, mm. whatever. Um, I, know, I know that because I've done that. I mean, I've, I remember when I was doing a one-woman show called It's Complicated, Hilarical Answers to Serious Questions on Love. The whole show was about relationships. I was in a breakup happening at that exact time. I'm literally off stage like, <laughs> and they're like, come into the stage, Amanda Seals. And it's like, <gasps> hello. You know, like that's what it is. And it's not that you're being fake, it's just that this is your purpose. Right. And the other part of it I think people don't understand is that there's also a joy that you find in doing that work. So you can have full joy in doing that work and still when it's done, go back to the darkness. And so, you know, I won't say that I didn't know Twitch well. I knew him as an acquaintance and he would comment on my videos and I had the pleasure of, you know, um, doing an interview with him on Ellen. And, you know, I just think that for a lot of us, um, we just don't feel like we're valuable enough to stay. Mm. And then for some of us, it feels like this isn't valuable enough to put yourself through. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said for some people were saying like, well, he has kids da, 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 and I cannot speak for that man. So I'm not speaking for him, but I will say that like, if you are in a certain level of depression, you are not thinking rationally. I have a friend who is bipolar, and she said, you see the difference between me and you and Amanda, me and you, Amanda, 
She said, the difference between me and you, Amanda, is that you have a, you have a rock bottom. I don't have a rock bottom. She said, I'll just keep going and going and going. And then that's when you start self-medicating. That's when you start cutting. That's when you start doing all these other things because it's like the depth of the darkness just keeps enveloping on you and you're trying to figure out ways to manage it. She was like, you have a rock bottom that you will hit that stuns you or paralyzes you, but you don't go deeper. And she was like, I have to take meds to give me a bottom or else I will kill myself. Mm. And I, I think people don't, um, people just don't really understand that also we're humans. We're just like so wildly complex. Like there's, there's, there's no two of us that are the same. There's no real like story that's exactly the same. And you just try and figure out like how to make it through and what makes it, this life valuable for you. And that's why I don't like when people judge suicide. Um, when it's done, you know, for reasons that we don't know. Now, when it's done out of cowardice, because you don't want to face the consequences of harm you have done to other people. Like, you know that guy in Charlottesville? Remember those Charlottesville pictures? There was a guy with a tiki torch, and he was like this? Yeah. He just killed himself. Wow. He killed himself because he got caught with 15 kilos of fentanyl trying to cross the border into Mexico. Mm. Now, he was obsessed with... Nazis and being a racist prick, right? But when it came time to face the music for being a fucking drug mule, he killed himself. Because he was scared. Right. But he had no problem trying to invoke terror into the hearts and minds of black folks in Charlottesville, North Carolina, as they walked and trampled over the unmarked graves of slaves who had worked on the plantations in that town. Mm -hmm. So good to see ya. Don't miss you. So when you had the the suicidal ideation, where was that coming from? Was that just life pressure, social media? Um, I think in 2019, I had two things happen that really like f fucked with my concept of what this world is and like my role in it. One was that I. Um, publicly spoke to a man who many women had come to me and said was problematic. I just had someone come to me the other day, by the way, to be like, thank you for sharing that. I know that you took a lot of heat for that, but he also did some wild shit to me, mm -hmm. right? So that was like, I was getting death threats. Like, I, you know, then you had like people jumping on this bandwagon, like a man steals hates black men. Then this guy uh, with this with this website, he created a headline that said Amanda Seals lies about Amanda Seals admits to lying about being sexually harassed by a black man. Like, I never said that the person sexually harassed me. I also never lied, and I also never admitted to lying because that couldn't happen, right? And at the time, what I should have done was sued that motherfucker for defamation. Mm -hmm. That's what I should have done. Mm -hmm. But the people around me were like, no, it's gonna go away, blah, blah, blah. And to this day, in the comments, in the comments of this video right here, there will be somebody who's like, isn't that the woman who falsely accused it? Because then the narrative turned into Amanda falsely accused a black man of rape, mm -hmm. which... Well, the internet takes its own run on things and creates its own narrative. And then makes it true about you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's something I would never do. There also was just this narrative of like, Amanda did this because she's a scorned woman. It's like, please get the fuck out of here. Um, so that happened, but it was like, it brought me to my knees. Mm -hmm. Then after that was the whole Emmys party where um, I was forcibly removed from a party 
because your best friend. It was Issa's party. No. Uh, insecure, no? It wasn't Issa's but party. But it was Vanessa, I think, that had Vanessa, you Yes, Vanessa had me removed from yeah. the party with, by security guards um, because she didn't like me. And um, that was the reason. She Vanessa's told me that. Vanessa's a black woman, by the way. Yes, she's a sister. Um, she said she didn't like me and that she, that's why I was removed from the party. I was invited to the party by Jesse Williams. Shout out to Jesse. And uh, like those two instances, though, like really shook me to my core because I thought that these were like, I thought I was doing the right thing in the first one. And I was completely blown by the misconstruing of what I did. And then the second time, I thought I was in a safe space. Mm-hmm. And I was like humiliated and people watched it happen. Mm-hmm. And I was humiliated in front of Black Hollywood, who I thought I was a part of. Right, right. <laughs> so it was like... Well, because like, you were on one of the biggest shows with... Uh, and at the time I was on Bring the Funny and there was a billboard the size of a fucking building like two blocks away. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I'm in, I'm like, this is prime time happening, right. you know, and... So those are things that shook me to my core. They really like broke my confidence. And I think what a lot of people, um, what a lot of us do is like we base our confidence on like validation from outside. Mm-hmm. And you don't really realize that that's what the case is until like it can get crumbled. And so then when I went to the real and I wasn't treated kindly, it was like a straw that broke the camel's back. Like mm-hmm. I think had I, had I not gone through like all these other things, like I, I may not have responded the way I did, but... There was just, um, there was a lack of kindness. There was a lack of uh, honesty. And I'm, I'm like, I know there's people watching who are like this, like dishonesty, like fucks with me, like mm-hmm. in a real like yeah. way. And um, I think I just started to like, feel like, oh my God, like I'm back in a, situ- I'm back in a fucked up situation. Like what am I, and, and I just, I just started to feel like I had lost control. And I think what happens with some of us is that when we feel like we lose control, it just feels like, well, then what the fuck am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And I had reached a point where I was just like, well, if I'm always going to feel like this and it's not going to feel any better, then the logical thing to do would just be to cut it. Did you have a support system? Because I feel like people look at you as very strong, very fearless, um, very transparent. So most people wouldn't see through that to see vulnerability. I mean, I, I cried for like 24 hours. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't like not see that. I mean, I do have a support system. Like I was able to call my homegirl, Delise, who like worked on the same lot. And she just like came and sat in my dressing room. Like mm-hmm. I told my assistant, put my mother on a plane. Um, and my therapist uh, was like, what's happening here is not as deep as you think it is. And mm-hmm. I was like, how could you say that? But it she feels was, deep. <laughs> it feels deep. But she was like, what's happening here is really that your confidence has been shattered and it makes you feel like you don't have a place or purpose. And what we need to do is build your confidence back up and we need to do it based on real things. Mm -hmm. So when we did that process, it was based on like, why do I love myself? Not Mm. why do people love me? Mm. That's 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 I'm gonna clap it up for that. Because self-love, that's the journey I've been on. And that's that until you master that or at least work to getting that, everything else isn't going to even make sense. And it's not going to be real. It's just also, I don't think it's really sustainable. I think that's why so many people end up, you know, abusing drugs and alcohol and other things, you know, because it's not, this life is hard in general. It's completely uncertain. The only thing you can count on is you. Yeah. And then if you don't know you, then what are you actually counting on at all? 
Well, if you don't know you or you don't love you, then you let you down too. Oof. Okay, so look, I got a gift for you right here on the side. Um, there should be a package. You see it right here? Oh. What? Our gifts are safe. It's the peeking to observe what's in there for you. <laughs> I already know where you're going with this. What? It's a black mermaid. Where am I going with this? Where? Where? I be knowing. <laughs> they came for me. They came for me. And look. And look. If you know, you know. Well, this gift is sponsored by DDG. Um, not, not necessarily. But no, of course, you know, one of the times. Look at we, this stuff. <laughs> you, uh, you went viral for. Um, Isn't it neat? <laughs> commenting about Halle Bailey. Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Halle Bailey. Wouldn't Hallie. you think of a girl? Anyway, so no, you um, you know, you we posted you on Hollywood a lot when you sounded off about. Um, First of all, I didn't sound off. Like I was making you a joke. You sounded off. That was. I didn't off. sound. No, that wasn't sound off. No, I, you know the difference between the sound off and me let me, being let funny. Let me set the stage. Okay, you went. <laughs> me being funny. You went viral because, as you know, we have the first black female uh, mermaid for Disney, Halle, ba Halle Bailey, who we love. Um, she, uh, her boyfriend, DDG, she, he's a rapper, young rapper. He was being interviewed and he said something about thinking that racism had ended when Martin Luther King died, mm -hmm. something like that. And you sounded off. I did not sound off. I literally, by the smack of my gum, you can tell that I am joking. Uh -huh. But basically, I was just like, girl, you got to break up with him. You got to break up with him. And, you know, one thing I will say is that all jokes are 60-40. It's just a matter of which percentage is joke and which percentage is real. Nonetheless, I didn't get to see, like, the complete, complete, complete interview. And I'm not sure if he was, um, if he, like, gave her as much support as I think, you know, I would have wanted from my man. But everyone was like, oh, like, he's being sarcastic. You should be able to know sarcasm. He was a valedictorian. Like, he obviously knows this, da 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 Now, I'm somebody who, I will tell you, I'm somebody who... I just feel like certain things in certain spaces, you can't joke like that because yeah. they don't really know. Everybody's not reading that room. <laughs> like, they don't really know. That being said. Um, let me say his comment. What he said was, and for folks who missed this, I don't know how you missed it. She was getting slammed for being a black yeah. mermaid for this Disney movie that's iconic. And she's a beautiful girl. Yes. She can sing her ass off. She earned it by hard work. She's maintained her morals in class and whatever. And so... When, he, when, when she was getting slammed by everybody, her boyfriend, the rapper, went on to say, I didn't know people were this racist. I didn't know this. I thought this shit was gone already. I thought this shit was gone. I thought Martin Luther King canceled this shit out. That's crazy. That's what he said. That was kind of crazy. But then you commented and uh, you basically told her to leave him. And then he went on to say he don't know who you, who you are. Okay. And now, as you've seen the, the headlines are that allegedly he's been in some other girl's DMs after we were all just together at a party. And she, she, I don't know if she was there, but the girl, I did see Ruby there and I did see him there and I didn't see them talking, but it's now come out allegedly that he was in her DMs trying to go home with her and everybody on the internet is saying break up with him, but everybody ain't mad at them like they was mad at you. Yeah. Most importantly <laughs> is that Hallie's in the middle of this. Yes. And that to me is the part that sucks. 
right? Because ultimately, even when you're a public figure, you really don't want to have to deal with shit like this publicly. Right. And people think that because you're a celebrity, it's like your responsibility to have to deal with things like this publicly. And it's like, baby, I'm not an elected official, okay? Right. Like, I don't owe y'all that. And so I think that for me is like just watching a young sister who's in this business, who's like coming into her own, and then she's like publicly out here with this man, and now she gets embarrassed. Like, it's just, mm. Like, that's a, like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's DJ, a sting DJ. that it should not be stung. And now it's like everybody's talking about it. And it's like, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care what your support system is. You can feel when everybody's talking about you. Right. And you want your partner to protect you. Mm. You want your partner to protect you. So, like, I don't want for anybody to think that I'm, like, reveling in the I told you so. Because yeah. that's not what it is. I think um, it's... Uh, I, I did judge correctly. Forty uh, percent of my joke was like, mm. but you know, I think that's part of the growing pains, also, of being a young person, right? And I think for both of them, right? And he, uh, he's got to keep on the face, right? Because I see him posted like people keep sending me the post. People keep tagging me like, oh, man, I told y'all, <laughs> like. Y'all have to also understand, like, I'm grown. Like, I'm an old lady in this shit. Like, y'all trying to come in my DMs and you 18, 19. I remember one nigga came in my DM and was like, you single bitch. <laughs> Where after you did that? Yes, you single bitch. I was in Toronto, like, doing uh, stand-up for Just for Laughs. And all of a sudden, my, my DM, I, like, look at my DM. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And he's like, you, you single bitch. That's why you ain't got no man. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Like 20 minutes later, had sent another message with a picture of me and my man <laughs> and put, he's lying to you. He doesn't love you for real. <laughs> I was like, Yo. Wait, is that why you keep Vontae private? Devon? Yeah, I mean, you post him, but like. He you know, doesn't like, he's not that kind of person. So he, like, there's no, you guys don't do the matching. Like, of course we do. You do the matching. Christmas. Like in our house. Yeah. Yeah. But not for the gram. We didn't do it this year. I mean, it's not even that I like try to like keep him private as much as like I respect his wishes mm -hmm. that he's not like a out here kind of person and I remember when we first got back together I had posted a picture that didn't show his face and another site like a gossip site like posted the pic found pictures of him and posted them right and um I DM'd them on the side, and this is somebody I had an acquaintanceship with, and I was like, hey, like, can you take that down? Like, I purposely didn't post his picture, and he was like, you know, how, basically, like, how dare you? Like, you are a public figure, and I have every right to post whatever I want about your life. And I just, I know that Hollywood Unlocked is in that realm, but it's like, there's a whole business that's now been made on, like, other people's lives, and there's not enough regard that I think is taken for the fact that, like, it really is a human being you're talking to, talking about. Like it's a human being you're posting about. Like, and there's certain people that like want that. They want that smoke. Like they like calling the paparazzi, come and see me. Mm -hmm. Like they really like they thrive on that. They believe that all press is good press. But other people are just trying to live and do their craft, and this celebrity thing ends up being like a side effect of it. Mm. I have opinions about that, but we're gonna get into that later. What's your opinion? No, we're gonna talk about it later because it's a part of our games, right? Oh. Isn't it a part of our game? Okay, so. You and Devon, is it Devante? Devon. Devon. You all were together, broke up for five years, then got back together, right? No. We were together in college. We broke up for 20 years, and we got back together. Were you together for five years, 
Mm-mm. So five was never a number. We didn't talk for five years before we, didn't we got talk together. For five. Okay, but you were separated for 20 years. Yeah. And then got back together. Yeah. Okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm battling this whole I don't want to be single thing, which I don't even know if I don't want to be single, but I, some days I don't. Last night I didn't, today I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, but I have this rule, and I think sometimes it's the rules that fuck me up, that I will never go back. Like if I've talked- It's a silly rule. Is it a silly rule? Have you changed? In no. your life, have you changed? Well, I've changed. So why can't other people change? So after 20 years, you, and now you're happier than you were before. I mean, we were 19. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that it's like all roses and cupcakes. Um, but no relationship is. Right. But people think. Yeah. Um, but I will say that like we both went through like our own life journeys. Mm-hmm. And we stayed in touch that whole time. I mean, it wasn't like um, he was completely off the map, but... Uh, he got married, like he lived a whole, like he changed careers, he Did went he to the kids? Navy. Um, he has a daughter. Oh, really? And, you know, but he's like, he's a incredibly gifted producer and audio engineer. Like, I mean, he's, he found himself mm-hmm. in that time and I found myself in that time. So when we got back together, it's two different people coming together than we're together, you know, in our youth, but we still have that ability to at least say that like I've been able to see that this person has it's like their roots are the same but I've seen the blossoms change Mm -hmm. and I don't think um there's anything wrong with that people also have incredibly life-changing experiences like someone that you knew before they were married is going to be different after they were married thanks Someone you knew before they have a child is probably going to be different after they have a child. Someone you knew that had like an injury or maybe like went through like a near death experience. They're going to be different after. So and more. And this is the main one. Someone you knew before they went to therapy. That part. Mm. So mm. my number one question when we start talking again was like, did you go to therapy? So when did you guys get engaged? We're not engaged. Oh, I know. But I that know. was. I know there was rumors that you were. I was just wondering. Y'all would know if I was engaged, because I'd be like, I'm engaged. I, don't, I didn't know how to ask if you were, so I just... I don't care enough about that. Reverse engineered the answer. I see you. <laughs> Do you want kids? No. At all? Mm-mm. That was a conscious decision you made? Yeah, I mean, at first it wasn't, and then I got pregnant, and then I thought, like, oh, I guess this is God telling me, like, this is what you need to do, and then I miscarried, and I was like, I guess God is like, okay, not now, and then as I thought about it, I was like, maybe not ever, and then I was like, did what everyone told me to do, which is freeze the eggs, so the eggs are frozen, and then as time has gone forward, I'm just like, yeah, I'm really cool with this setup. Mm. Oh, you know what I want to ask you is, I recently have been developing this relationship with, um... Vice President Kamala Harris, what can she do or what is she not doing to connect to the culture or to connect to us? And what do you think of her performance? It's a really multi-layered question because I think there is an unfair expectation for her because she's a black woman that she's going to like defy what we've always seen from vice presidents, which is not much. Like we don't really have like a real track record of seeing vice presidents like be out here like that you know like when biden was vice president we just saw him like jogging with (laughs) jogging with uh barack uh dick cheney we didn't see much but he was the one pulling the purse strings and pulling the puppet strings you know but we there just there hasn't ever been like a vice president that had like popped out but i think that because she's the first black woman vice president that we're thinking like oh well this time though she's gonna need to because so many black women got this man in office Mm -hmm. So there's going to be an exception this time. And I think that's 
I, I think that was kind of unrealistic. Now, I don't know what she's doing behind the scenes, so there's that, right? It's not like he comes out and says, like, you know, shout out to Kamala Harris who had us do da-da-da-da-da. Right. So we don't know what her, I don't know what her involvement is with things that are coming across the, the um, coming across through the bills, et cetera. Now, I do think that this administration has outperformed my expectation of them, which was very low, right? Mm -hmm. I just wanted them to not be worse than Trump. Right. Which to me is like which is not, not that, that hard. hard, right? Um, <laughs> and like people will say like, like don't Amanda, be don't like, be a complete failure. Yeah, Just like people are like, oh, Amanda Seals told us to vote for Biden. And it's like, listen, like there's no version of looking at Biden's like track record at this point in this presidency that says that this was a failure. Mm -hmm. Like it just hasn't been, you know? Well, why can't people get that? Because it's easier to then create a failure narrative. And we live in a world and in a nation where people are stuck in a scarcity mindset and not an abundance mindset. And it's much easier to come from that place because when you come from that place, I think that you can kind of, it's easier to control that like, oh, there's less. When there's more, it means that you have to give more. And I think for what it's worth, you know, Biden has faux pas and he's also an old ass white man. Yeah. And he also has a history that is not positive. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you divorce that history from this present? And you, you kind of, to a certain extent, if you're just acknowledging someone's presidency, you have to. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just going to look talked at about even with Devante, like people change and things well, change, things right? change. And, you know, the world has changed and this man lost a child. Right. Like that's going to change you, mm -hmm. you know? So I do think that there's a certain level of um, credit that he can be allowed to have for simply just having done things that we just didn't expect to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. But when it comes to Kamala, I mean, listen, my, you know, when Kamala said this ain't a racist country, she lost me and right. she ain't got me back yet. Mm -hmm. And not that that matters. I'm just little Amanda. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't want to know in the wilds. Mm -hmm. But I, I, th that, ooh, child, that one right there. Well, we all know we're in a racist America. She has to know that she's in a racist America. Do you think that that was her speaking to the hopes of not wanting to live in a she racist America? She can't do that. Right. We have shooters that are going into places and killing people because of their race. Mm -hmm. And then we're not calling it domestic terrorism. We have an entire culture of police that are killing black people and getting away with it because the law says they can. We have a country that was 1000% built on the foundation of racism that now legislators are trying to pretend didn't happen and are getting that through and doing it on an education level and on a DEI level. You cannot, as the second in line to the highest form of office in this country, make a message on hope. Mm -hmm. You, in my opinion, it's particularly not just as vice president, but as the first black woman vice president and who got there and who got this man elected largely in part because black women like myself were like, let's do what we always do. Mm -hmm. Let's show up. You can't get in there in that position and then make such an egregiously false statement. Not to mention we watched white people climb up the Capitol <clears throat> and try to overthrow the government and stop an election. I couldn't remember if that was before or after, mm -hmm. but. How does she fix that? My bad. Acknowledge it. My bad. I said that because I hope 
that we could be in that space. But in the reality of where we are, it is simply the truth that this country is operating from a space of racism that is not, this country is operating from a space of racism that is deleterious to its ability to advance equally for its people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, people are like, oh, the system works. For who? Mm -hmm. <laughs> For who? Like, you know, so, but you have to remember Kamala was also a DA and she called herself the top cop. There's nothing wrong with being a top cop if you were policing. I mean, I have. There's no version of policing that's good policing. Wait, let me say this. As somebody who got shot, when I hit 911 and the police showed up, I was happy. Because when people but say But you know they, what? You were lucky. Wait, I was happy. But you were lucky. And you know what? If they would have came and shot all them niggas who shot me, I would have been happy. Shoot them all. But that they one probably would have shot you too. I think that at the end of the day, like we all want to feel protected and there are situations where the police show up and do that, but there's just far too much of a, that's like the anomaly. Like there's far too much of a culture that says that they don't have to do that. Right. That's the part. Well, I understand the evolution of slavery and policing and prisons and all of that and what it represents. Um, I don't know what it would be like to live in a world without the police. And I do believe there are some good police out there. But I think policing in general, clearly, I know what community I live in and nobody looks like me in my community. And I know if I was out there pushing the trash, they wouldn't come and think that that was my house. I've seen white people come to my house and go, who live here? In mm -hmm. fact, ask me, who, where the owner of the house right. at? Like, this is all mine. There are, so I there get are, it. There are no good police. There are good people mm -hmm. who happen to be police. I'll, I'll take that. But ultimately, I don't think that we, I don't necessarily think that we need to live in a, a world with, that doesn't have some sort of law and order enforcement. But I think there needs to be, not I think, I know that there needs to be a drastic reimagining of what that is and the understanding that there is a multi-pronged approach to community safety and building. And if you are not pouring in the same resources into a community to protect itself, then how are you gonna need, then, then no, no wonder you're gonna need all these police to come in here. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody who was talking about them crafting the whole movement, defunding the police and how they just fucked up on the messaging and lost people. I mean, I understood the intention. Yeah. How do you think we bring that back where we talk about the pouring into communities the way that you're saying now? I think we just keep doing it. I mean, there's so much of this, so much of change that happens in this country is just by like beating folks in the head. And then essentially you do it so long that the generation that comes after doesn't even know a world that didn't have that messaging. And now they're like pushing it forward. I'm going to tell you the fact that what happened at Michigan State, yep. at mm -hmm. Michigan State, that there were, I think, at least three students there who've been in other, who've been in other School shootings. School shootings. Yeah. Like, that's beyond my One scope of comprehension. One from Sandy Hook. Yeah. And the other two were from Oxford. And I just, like, that just, I mean, ugh. And I think people just have to start to, like, accept the fact that that's white America. Like, that is, that's the America we all live in, but that's the America that they create. That's the America the beautiful they sing about. That's the America that they've allowed to be acceptable. I mean, Sandy Hook, with all those little kids that got murdered, you would have thought that there would be outrage Outrun. from everybody. Everybody, melt your guns down. Yeah. Turn it into a Game of Thrones. No. <laughs> um, I mean, this, is, this country is delusional. This country is, itself is narcissist. It's narcissistic. You know, with narcissists, they are unable to improve themselves because they are unable to take critique. Mm -hmm. And if you can't take critique, then you will never advance because you can't acknowledge the thing that's wrong. 
That's this country. And until there is a genuine effort, this country never culturally did, this country never culturally agreed that slavery was bad. Mm-hmm. Like culturally, that's not like a bottom line. In this but country. I also feel like black Americans aren't outraged enough consistently to make the type of progress we need to make. You know, like, I'm not waiting for a leader to show up and tell me to go get mine. I'm not waiting for the 40 acres in the mural to believe I can have my own ownership. So I, I just feel like when, we, when I look at the problems in the world, I look at a school or I look at what's happening in Florida or even the conversation about women's control of their own bodies. Mm-hmm. Stop looking at the president. Look at who is in your community, who is in your state, who is in, who's, your, who's your leaders that so are making these, you know, this, vo- this, this conversation around local voting yeah. really, I feel like, got much more amplified in this last election and then we saw it in the midterms. This is the first time that you the midterms... You mean with the local mayor here? Well, or, just or local just elections in general, in general okay. Okay, okay. right? Like, I don't feel like people were really talking about local elections, no. right? And now it's become a narrative because the people need to know. Right. Like, And also, we have to do everything in our power to devalue the concept of your vote doesn't matter. At the same time, it's also pointing out that the electoral college needs to go, yep. right? So the conversation around voting is... A lot of people feel like it's a yes or no. Wasn't it Puff who at first was like, don't vote? And I'm like, shut up! And then it was vote or die. Yes. <laughs> and, well, that was first. Because yeah. I was there for vote or die. I got the shirt and everything. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then he came back and said, don't vote. And I know that in, in his mind, maybe in that moment, it just felt like we got to stand yeah. our don't ground. Don't give your vote away. But you have to vote. Well, you have to vote. And we also have to understand that there's a process. So, like, by the time we got to Biden and people are, like, wanting to take a stand, it's like, well, baby, we had we had primaries and debates right. and we ended up here. Like, we needed to have started this process a lot earlier. Like, right now, we're starting to see people announce their, announce their run for the presidency. This is when we start looking at, like, oh, do these people look interesting to us? At the same time, it's more important, to your point, that we are looking at who our governors are who our state senators are. You have a nation that is really making an effort to put all the power in states' hands. So that means that your state senators, who are the people who are determining the laws of your state, are more important for you to vote for than anyone. Your governor, who is the essential president of your your state, state, is now more empowered than anyone. Look at DeSantis. He has turned Florida into a whole fascist. Florida is a mess. It's fascist land. It's right. not Disneyland, right. you know? So it's the Satan land. Like, it's crazy. And I'm from Florida, and I'm watching it and like... And they're saying he could be running for president. He's absolutely going to run for president. Right. And I'm hoping that they're going to eat each other alive. <laughs> no, him and Trump. No, they're going to... Oh, well, him and Trump, yeah. That's going to be... It. But, but I also feel like um, politics became like a reality show where after Trump got canceled, we just stopped watching TV, and life is still happening. Like... There's still stuff happening in the world. Yes. You know what I mean? No, like I, I end up getting on a soapbox when I talk about this. And I know that's like, that's another thing I'm trying to work on, like the messaging around this. Because I end up getting like very, ah, and then people are like, oh my God, the pitch that she's hitting the pitch. <laughs> but there's so much effort being made specifically to keep black people's votes down. And on a basic level, if your vote didn't matter they wouldn't care. Like, that's it. And it's going on right now. And to your point, like, once Trump got canceled, you know, it was like, oh, so we say we won. We did fine. We, we didn't, we, we made it out. I will say I was very happy to see how much people were paying attention to the midterm elections. I ain't never paid attention to a midterm election before. Right. I was watching that shit, gritting my teeth. I right. was like, Super Bowl, midterm election, midterm election. So... 
Is it become you, because you became more in, interested in the whole process or? I became more interested because it no longer made sense for me to live in this country and not be. Mm -hmm. When I see people saying like, I don't care about politics or I don't vote, I'm like, do you live in Sweden? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Cause right. if you're here and you're not doing that, you're essentially saying, I'ma let these white people make, a make the decisions about how I live my life. Right. You're, you I don't know why people think they're like standing up, but it'd be different if to your point, there was like a whole like movement that said we're all going to do this this way. There's a plan. Like when people say like, I'm not gonna vote, I'm like, but what's the plan? Yeah, like then what are you gonna do? I just wanna know what the plan is right. because there's, if there's a plan, I'm curious. But I know that for me, I still believe that there's a multi-pronged approach to change. We, we are not at a point where enough people are unified for there to be a true revolution. So we're still in a reformist mindset. And until we get to that point, this is where we're at. What do you think about that senator, or not senator, the congressman who snuck his way into the- George Santos? Yeah. You mean he, the queen? He, wait, she said, she said she's Jewish, Jewish, like Jewish. And still is in there now walking around as an active part of Congress. She is a representative of what they're all about, though. The GOP, the, the Republican Marjorie Party. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Well, no, this is George Santos. But no, Marjorie, no, I'm just saying all these crazies. Yes, the, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Matt Gates, who definitely like did some sideways shit with minors and the, the case was dropped today. Like there's, I mean, I can go on and on and on about how all of these individuals are out of their fucking minds and also like actual meat, like terrible people. Yeah. But because people aren't paying attention to the local and state process, they made their way in. There's that. There's also gerrymandering, you know, like Marjorie Taylor Greene lives. She, she's like in a district that's like completely white. Right. Like people don't even know that in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, they just, an all-white legislature in a town, in a city that is, I think, over 80% black. I think it's like 86.2% black in Jackson, Mississippi. An all-white legislature just decided that there's now going to be a district that has its own all-white ju uh, judges and cops, et cetera, et cetera, within Jackson. So that means that the black folks are going to have one set of judiciary situation and the white folks are gonna have another set. That's what that's saying. This is apartheid. <laughs> like, and it's happening right in front of us. It's scary to me because I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so many of our icons of change, you know, Angela Davis, Nikki Giovanni, you know, uh, they're, they're getting up there in age, you know, uh, Harry Belafonte, et cetera. So like, we're now going to be the ones, right. but then, um, you know, we saw those students walk out of that high school in Alabama. And I think we always have, we, we always end up having to come back to like, it's going to be the children who lead us. You think it will be Sean King? I, I don't know her. That's that on that. All right, let's play these games. Okay. All right, this is the most fun part of the show that everybody says is messy, but it's not me. I just put it all in the games. This is a game called Name Drop. Now, you know, you know everybody. It's Fam already messy by your toe. <laughs> no, it's not. By no, it's your not. toe. 
alone. I promise you I'm, I'm working on myself. Okay, but here's what I'm not working on. The game, and it's messy. All right, but look, you're known by everybody and everybody knows you. I'm gonna just, this is a game where I drop a celebrity's name and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind. You're the perfect guest to play this game. First thing that comes to mind or a funny story you have or a moment that you wish never happened. Okay, so the first person, Russell Simmons. <laughs> Rapist. Damn, they got real. I thought you were going to talk about Deaf Comedy Jam, Deaf Poetry, Poetry Jam. And he's a liar. Damn, this game got real. Okay, well, okay, the next person. Now, I used to work with this person for a little bit. Who? Kanye. Oh. Well, not Candace Owens. First thing that comes to mind with Candace Owens and Kanye. Meds. I don't know her. <laughs> I'm laughing at the I don't know her part, but don't you feel like, is there any space to ever forgive Kanye again? Well, there's always space for redemption, I think, to a certain extent, but you have to acknowledge your error of your ways. Mm -hmm. I, I, know, I know about that man on a whole other level, though. Yeah. So, because I know people that worked for him. Yeah. And I know that he doesn't treat the people that work for him. That way. In a kind, like, he doesn't have regard for them in the way that he should as an employer. What do you think about the selective outrage of canceling him for the Jewish comments, but not canceling him for the White Lives Matter comments? Um, I think that what was, what was interesting is not the word, but what was frustrating for me to see was how many black people <laughs> had no problem with either comments. Right. Um, I'm not surprised by the selective outrage. Like, at the end of the day, you know, there's certain things where you'll be like, wow, that's fucked up. And then when it's about you, you're like, oh. I'm gonna fuck you up. Right. So like, I can get that. Yeah. Uh, but I would have liked to have seen us more as a black community of media, of people with platforms, et cetera, be adamant about the white lives matter of things. Because at the end of the day, like I don't expect them, I don't expect other folks outside of us to ever show up for us. I never expect that. What I get upset about is the way that we don't show up for us. Mm -hmm. We didn't, have a, we didn't have a collective outrage about right. the White Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I was upset, but I didn't see like places being like, this is not okay. Right. Like I didn't see- like, You didn't it was, see Adidas dropping for that either? Um, no, I did not see Adidas dropping for that. And that is also the reality of who has power in position and who is also afraid of other backlash, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we also, we always act like we're not in this like racist ass country. Mm -hmm. Like, why are they gonna get mad about White Lives Matter? They're like- And Candace Owens has to be the biggest joke you've seen in the last 10 years. I, I don't know her. Hilarious. Okay, next name, next person. He, I forgot he was on the list, Sean King. Mm. You don't know her either? <laughs> not well. Okay. Um, next person, Justice Smollett. Just rough time. Yeah, I like Jesse. Um, I don't know what actually happened. Yeah, you know, well, I, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah, I didn't see the manifest of people Africans took a statement Chicago. I made about that and like really ran with it because I said if his goal was to like do something that would out the police department for being negligent to LGBTQIA plus rights and Black folks, then it's noble and th then it had a noble cause. Um, and people were like, nothing about this was noble, and I'm just like. You can have a noble intent and still do some dumb shit. Yeah. That's what I was basically yeah. saying. 
Like, you can be like, okay, so I got this. Okay, so this is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. And then someone else, you tell the person, you tell people, and they're like, nah, that's stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get, I get where your heart is. Right. God know your heart. Yeah, um, the judge didn't care about the heart, though. I wish him the best. He's I wish good, him the best. He's, he's also, a good person. He's, a, he's also a brilliant creative. Like, yeah. he really is. And I, you know, have always been shown love. I remember I went to a Puff Daddy house party and it was in the hills and like I could get you could they were like take an Uber so I took an Uber there but then like you were in the hills there's no service like I could not leave this fucking party right I couldn't leave I was right. trying to leave right. I was trying to get out of there and um I remember standing outside just like I must have looked forlorn because then Jesse was like hey where are you going and he was in an SUV and I was like anywhere but here <laughs> but it was just, it wasn't like shade to the party it was just time to go you know and uh, he gave me a ride. But I also feel like cancel culture, is dis there's a disparate application of that, too. I feel like accountability culture, he's been held accountable. Move on with life and let him be great. I would love to see that. But, you know, he's gay. Yeah. So they're like, we can't let that ride. But I feel like the gay blacks are more embraced than the not gay blacks. No, like a Lil Nas X, if he can't, if, if Lil Nas X, he did the whole devil shoe and he's still shaking and twerking on stages where white folks built. I think amongst black folks. No, amongst black folks, yeah. Oh, no, like Fox, he ain't going back to Fox, but he can go to BET Plus. I don't think so. No? I don't think, I think black folks are harder. Black folks as a community, our homophobia issue is bananas. I agree. Like if he was a straight man who did this, people would have got over it and mm. let him back in the game. Okay. No, I mean, look, I think that I mean, I'm black and gay. I feel like for the gay blacks who don't show up as a reality star's token or handbag or sidekick or whatever, wearing, you know, no shade to y'all that wear heels <laughs> and makeup. But I just feel like we're more than that. Like, you play into the narrative of who they want us to be and what they want us to look like and then get mad when they find us easily disposable. I don't know. Oh, I don't. I mean, I'm not a gay black person yeah but um that's a whole other i was gonna say i mean i don't think there's a playing into a narrative you're being yourself but you're playing into the narrative that mainstream wants to perpetuate about our community for example frank ocean was a black gay or bisexual i think he's gay artist who was phenomenal who was an so you think every you think every like feminine presenting gay person in the public sphere is doing so to perpetuate I don't think that when you see a black gay man on television, he looks and sounds like me. They all look. Is it fair to say that it's not a monolith? Absolutely. Just like being black isn't. But when the purse and the strings are controlled by mainstream and that's what they want to perpetuate, that's what they put on TV. I don't see a lot. I mean, there's okay. a whole bunch. I see, what, I see what you're saying. You know I see what, what I mean? you're saying. I see what you're saying. You're saying that there's a like there's like a very small version of what they consider black gay to be, and they will put that up. But it's like it's like a black film has to be slavery, has to be man in prison or okay, smoking weed. Okay, but is weed. there is there something fair to say that if someone is living their truth, and it just so happens that their truth aligns with their lie? I'm okay with that. But at some point, you have to start saying, like you talked about earlier, let's open you up the space. You know what this sounds like? For every, it's very similar. You know what this sounds like? What? It's not gay on gay hate or gay on gay crime. It sounds, it's, but it, it, it echoes the, um, it echoes like the internal 
color issue of black folks, where it's like we're blaming the wrong folks. Okay, next person. Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> so many words. Um, why is she wearing a black shoe with this dress? I don't know. Her fashion game like, is Like, why is she wearing a worst. black pump? Like, if you're going to do all this work to be a woman, show the fuck up. I'm, I'm like, come on. She thought she was going to be the governor like a, of California. Like a, she thought she was going to be the governor of California. She thought she was going to be the governor of California. California. Talking about, I was in my hangar. Um, my Sit word down. for her, idiot. <laughs> idiot. Idiot. Money don't buy you intellect. That's mm -hmm. a fact. Or good fashion. Or a good heart. Mm. Okay, next one. This is my favorite. Terry Crews. You know, I called him a coon on Wendy Williams, and they came for me. I didn't know that was like a bad word. Who came for you? Pete, well, they did. Who's they? They. Really? They, oh. They were like, I can't believe you said that. But isn't, there are people that are cooning. So like. Yeah, I mean, he be, he's pretty cooning for, <laughs> cooning five. Like, if he saw me somewhere, he wouldn't come talk to me. Like He doesn't like you. I don't know him, but if he uh, knew how I felt about him, he, you know. I don't, okay, again, Wait, well, I don't know him as a person. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Cool! Okay. <laughs> I love Amanda. I just, you know, I can only go off of, I don't know him as a person, so I'm only speaking yeah. to, like, what I've seen of what him. What he's done to the Gabrielle. Yeah, and there's just him. been, op there's just, there's so many opportunities to, like, show up in these spaces in a supportive way that when you make it your business to go, like, out of your way to not do it, you're just like, who is this for? Right, right. You got a black wife, you got black kids. Like, what are we doing? Well, he says that NBC is not racist, so he's showing that America's got talent to make you believe that America's not racist. You took a road with that one. Yeah, that one. He it, was though. like, I'm going to set a course and y'all going to ride with me. I landed it. All right, next game. Let's go to the next game. <laughs> this next game is called Erase the Shade. So if you've ever said something shady, or said something that's come off as shady, you now get to either stand 10 toes down in your truth or you get to erase the shade. All right, so this was the first thing that we found. You posted, for a lot of fans, TV shows are who's in front of the lens, but for employees of these, but for the employees of them, these shows are the corpse studios productions that run them. Addressing the way they perpetuate predatory capitalism, racism, et cetera, is not attacking your fave stars, it's challenging the system we work in. I mean, I feel like that was it's self-explanatory. Very eloquent. <laughs> and I think you spoke to it today, and I, I yeah. And I think it's educational, so people understand like what you see on your TV screen. There's so much more. So, for instance, all that. like when I was talking about the real, like people like took that as like I'm talking about like Tamara and Lonnie and Adrian and and Jeannie, and it was like, but I was very clearly speaking to the leadership. Right. But like. Um, you know, even with like Insecure, it was like people just take silence or they just take things and run. But ultimately, like if you are working on a show and you have an issue with things that are taking place through the like leadership of the show, that's not you like talking about your co-star. That's right. your co-worker. You're right. talking about top brass. Right. Okay. So we're staying on the mic. Okay. Next one. I'm so like. Y'all telling me I'm gatekeeping blackness for not breaking bread with coons is today's comedy. Yeah. What coin were you talking about? Oh, June 15th, 2022. Sky is the limit. I don't. Could have been any coin. Okay. But I don't even understand. Like, because they were like saying that I should. They were basically saying, there were people saying that like, 
I should be willing to talk to people who are anti-black because they're black. And that me not being willing to do that is gatekeeping blackness. And I'm just like, where do y'all come up with these things? <laughs> like, what? The, the Simone Biles mental gymnastics needed to make that make sense? So they're saying basically you should have interviewed Diamond and Silk. Yeah. Craziness. Okay. Even Trump didn't interview Diamond and Silk. At all. She, did she, is she resting in peace? I don't know where she landed. <laughs> okay, next. I, I wonder if they buried it with the wig, though. Stop it. Next one. I love dance music. Also, this Drake album sounds like if Canada made Juneteenth ice cream. Yeah. Just this like, is comedy. Well, you know, you can't be funny. Right, but you're funny. Do you, do you think people, because you do so many things, they can't yeah. get the comedian part? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Whenever I, I show up as a comedian in a space that's not like me on stage telling jokes, people are all like, sit down, <laughs> bitch! <laughs> Go talk about Biden! <laughs> that is crazy. All right. All right. Next one. By the way, for anyone saying she's bitter, she's masculine, she's angry, what I actually am is a comedian raised by a Caribbean woman and groomed in New York. You're interpreting my identity based on your feminine predilections. Predilections. That's a big word. I almost, said, I almost said predictions. I stand on all this. This also from like last year. Yeah, but there ain't really know, nothing from last year that I'm gonna switch up on. We just found a lot of shit that's just real shit that you said okay. that we don't want you to erase. Oh, okay. okay yeah, cool. I don't want to erase it. All right. Um, well, maybe this next one. <laughs> this nigga Wale just moonwalked onto the stage. I'm always amazed at how much how much women like him. He be rapping though. Yeah. Yeah. So let me tell you a story about this tweet. Okay. Because I thought about it yesterday. Did you? I did. Oh. Um, rest in peace to True Boy, the Dev of De La Soul. Mm. I sent this tweet while I was watching De La Soul perform mm. on stage at the Roots Picnic. I was hosting. And De La Soul are my favorite group to see live. Mm -hmm. Like, I will pay money. Like, what, I got to take a bus. Like, what do I got to do? And I was uh, hosting the show, and Wale was performing, and... I hadn't seen him since he had gotten, I hadn't seen him like since he went from the transition of like underground MC to like sex symbol. Mm -hmm. Like I'd never, like, cause that's not how he came out. Like mm -hmm. he came out in ACG boots. Like when I first met Falaren, like we were both rapping. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people don't know. I was a whole artist. Like mm -hmm. I was rapping, we was in like ciphers and shit. And then we saw each other in a restaurant and he was with a woman and I said hello to him and he snubbed me. Really? And he would not, he did not speak to me. And then we were on BBM. Wow. And I was like, why, why are you not speaking? And he just didn't respond. Mm -hmm. And that, like, that was that. And I don't like stuff like that. Yeah. So um, we never spoke again. And then the next time I saw him was this. And we had been cool, like cool, cool, cool prior to that. And the next time I saw him was at this show. And so when I said this, um, this nigga Wale just moonwalked, moonwalked onto the stage. Like, that's how I talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's not like a diss. Like, yeah. I'm reporting to you all. This Was nigga Wale just moonwalked onto the stage. I'm always amazed at how much women like him. LOL. That is me saying because I had never seen him be a sex symbol. Mm -hmm. To see Wale have panties throw on the stage was mm -hmm. like, when did the... I, have, I was so used to seeing dudes... In, it was that song with Miguel. Had to be. Was Lotus Flower. Lotus yes, Flower. Yes. But you need to know that, like, I had always only contextualized Wale as, like, rapping to an audience of dudes and scullies and bubble gooses. Yeah. So this was like, <laughs> wow. 
Um, he be rapping though. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen him since his tweet? Well, then he came on stage and tried to fight me. There? In response to this tweet. Wait, oh, so you were live tweeting while you were hosting backstage? <laughs> so we're on the stage. It's a picnic. It's a, I mean, it's a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, there's no backstage. I'm on the stage. Yeah. And he came on the stage um, and he got, and I was sitting on the speaker like this. And he came and was like, I don't like that fucking tweet. And I was like, I'm watching Dayla. Leave me alone. <laughs> and that's why I was thinking about it because we just lost the dub. Um, plug, plug two. And so he, he like ran off and I'm back, you know, and he comes up again. But this time he came between my legs and got in my face. And was like, you need to take that tweet down. And if I'm being honest, I don't know what he was saying, but he was in my face. Really? He's always calm when I see him. He, well, this had made him upset. So he was in my face with his finger, and I was in the pro I was in the process of raising my hand to knock his hand out of my face, which would have inevitably created some sort of skirmish. And my man at the time was standing like, you know how they have like the barriers on the yeah. side of the stage? So he was standing on the side of the stage. So when he came up the first time, I had turned around and he just went. <laughs> so I know he had seen it. I, to this day, don't know how this brother got from there to here. I don't know. He must have flew, he, from, he a Philly nigga, he must have flew on the wings of Ben Franklin. <laughs> and that man got from where he was to the stage and yoked up Wale, like from the back of his shirt, like as I was about to start a fight in the middle. <laughs> you were gonna slap Wale? I wasn't gonna, I was gonna slap his hand out my face. Yeah. And any physical contact is gonna start something. Yeah, of right? course. Right? So the, the hand was so, it was right here. It was right here. And I was about to go like this. And before I could make contact, dude said, boop, and pulled him off to the side. And he was like, this would never happen in DC. And he was like, yeah, but we in Philly. Damn. So then, what, so then did you guys ever. So then, Karen Civil. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, this is, Karen Civil was like. You that's a bad word around here. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have anything she bad to say. She paid a hacker to delete Hollywood Unlocked, but we're still standing. I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about Karen. I do. Karen was like, this is, because then he started tweeting about me. In real time? While they started tweeting about me and was like, Amanda Seals is irrelevant. While the music's still going and you're still hosting Ooh, Look at me now. <laughs> um, Amanda Seals is irrelevant, you know, all this stuff, and... It was just mayhem, and um, then of course, because he has a really big following, like people are DMing me, and people are like, "This is on Twitter." So that, this is back when I was really on Twitter, not Instagram. And people yeah. are Twitter tweeting me, and I'm gonna fight you. And if you come to DC, I'm gonna take you out of the game. And blah 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 blah. And like, you know, it was just like a really wild thing. And so it was public. And so Karen was like, "I want to organize like a meeting, a meeting, yeah, like a, a mediation." And I was like, "Okay," because to your point, I real, I keep saying to your point because, like you said. I really do not want, I don't actually want conflict. I'm just not going to run from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, he, he, uh, we, we had planned to meet, and then he canceled last minute. I haven't and seen so you him still since. haven't? I've never okay. seen him since. Do you want to erase the shade? No, this, this, was, this was not shade. Oh, this wasn't shade. This was not shade. Like, this is how I talk. This nigga won't Wale just won't walk down the stage. I'm always amazed at how much women like him. LOL. He be rapping, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last one. Western society has mistakenly taught that celebrity equals accessibility, mm -hmm. but don't get it twisted. Just because folks have made a business out of minding other people's business does not make it okay or better yet, 
your business. I've coined the phrase that everybody's business is my business. So when I saw this, I thought it was funny. But you're going to stand 10 toes down as we talked earlier about your boyfriend. It was like they try to put his information out, whatever. I just feel like there has to be some level of ethics, you know, and it's like very sketchy in this tabloid world and in this gossip world because you're literally making other people's business your business and it's not based on reporting. It's not based on like, it's not based on, um, you know, getting, like I've had so many times where like people have like made comments about something I've done or said, but like they could have just reached out to me and gotten like a quote (laughs) or like some sort of source and they just didn't and they ran with it and it ended up like really negatively affecting my life. So I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think this is, I think it's really like weird that y'all do this. Yeah, but you know what? I always say to people, who's the problem? Is it the comments who can't get enough of it? The people who, you know, most times need it to survive because if we stop talking about people, they literally just go away or their shit fails. Mm -hmm. Or is it the celebrity who can't accept the fact that they are a public figure? And because you're a public figure that benefits from the public, we have a right to digest your your personal life. Well, I think there's a difference between being a celebrity that benefits from the public and an artist that's giving work to the public. And I think the personal life part of it is like some shit y'all just made up. Mm -hmm. Like I have access to your personal life. Like that's some shit y'all just made up to make this whole business make sense. But if we knew that Santos wasn't Jewish, but he was Jew-ish, wouldn't that have kind of probably changed public perception? That's investigative journalism because that is an elected official who is lying. I'm looking at what Blueface and Krishana is doing. That is journalistic (laughs) investigation. I'm sorry. I just think that... And, and actually, that's great that you bring them up because they are actively pursuing your attention. Yeah. It's, when, it's when it becomes more, less of investigative journalism and more of um, invasive journalism. Mm-hmm. That's my issue. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I think it's great that you, you know, created the Jason Lee show and like people can come in here and like speak with themselves and you can ask the questions face to face. And that says a lot about you also being like, I'm not going to hide behind, you know, the, the Internet, or the, the blogger at all. Like, I'm going to say the same shit to your face <laughs> yeah. that I'm going to put up here. I'm going to Amanda seals you. I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> but I just think it's not. I mean, people are going to be like, well, life is it. I just don't think it's fair. Yeah. And I think that there's not enough regard for the fact that particularly black media outlets really benefit so much on painting the conflict and the negativity of black folks. And I get it, but it really is like. I, but, I, but that's where I think we'll probably disagree. Well, I agree. Let me agree first. I agree there needs to be a balance. Like there needs to be fairness. You should always be fair. You should always be balanced. And I've learned in some of my unfairness to be more fair. So there's that. But I do feel like when black celebrities say that black media is that, the way you just painted us, I think that is because oftentimes black media, I mean, black celebrities are striving for mainstream affection. Not Maybe not you, but most of the times. So they leave the world of black media and the only time they get their attention mm. is by reporting on things that they don't like. Then all of a sudden here they are ready to talk. And, you know, so there's this weird thing that's happening where I feel like if the Will Smiths who was more invested in black culture, black comedi- black media and black interviews. Yeah, like I saw Jonathan Majors the other day, like someone was trying to like get him off a carpet while a black media outlet was talking to him and he was like, no. But look at how he's being celebrated on the cover of Ebony. Yeah. You know, he's, but that, we know the real and we know the not, well, we don't know, we know the real. 
She know the real better than all of us, and she just told us about Lonnie. Y'all just have to pay attention to details. Look, Stop. But yeah. let me say this, yes. though. Tabloid has always been a part of the thing. Yeah. But we also have to acknowledge, like, the ways in which that has been, like, really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, Princess Diana, you know, like, why did you have to hold in a laugh? Oh, because I killed the queen. Remember when I posted that the queen died and they, she wasn't dead? Well, they said she wasn't dead. That <laughs> I, was didn't, a, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, there was a whole gasp of air in the room. You know, it's not a thing. Like, yeah, she, I said she was dead. She, she hadn't died yet? When did she, when did she die listen, in relation to when you posted it? Was it was like five months later, but it, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Oh, no, that was a Where thing. did you get that news from? I can't tell you the name. Oh, someone like gave yeah, you like Yeah, like a, a real source, yeah. Oh, so you feel like she actually died earlier than Black Twitter said. now has said that she was dead five months before, but I'm saying that I'm going to just let, leave it up to God. Whatever her will says, well, she don't have a will. Because if she had a will, she would have returned them blood diamonds they stole from them Africans. She don't even have to pay taxes on them blood diamonds Ain't because of the rich tax that they have mm. over there. But you know what? Hey, mm. um, this has been a blast. <laughs> this has been fun. The Amanda Seals show, is, is, is it almost everywhere? Where is it now? So the Amanda Seals show is currently in Philly, Houston, Toledo, Ohio, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Charlotte, North Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, and Columbus, Ohio. And you're actively selling to other markets? Yes. So to keep growing, 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 and then? Yes. And they'll have to listen to a strong, educated, independent, free mind, free willed, and honest black woman. Yes. That's and nice. you can also get it every day wherever you get your podcasts. So. And then you have a show that you just sold that you'll come back and tell me about casting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what else is going on? We got Small Doses Podcast. So you can get Small Doses Podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch Small Doses Podcast on my YouTube at Amanda Seals TV. And uh, we also have other content that I'm putting there as well as like Amanda Reacts where I react to like black 90s moments and things because I'm a cultural connoisseur. And uh, you can also... Check out my Patreon, The Amandaverse. So that's for all like the extra level. You're like, oh my God, like I need to hear more. I want to support more. Come on through. Smart, Funny, and Black is also my live touring show. So we will be in, I'm not sure when this airs, but we will be in Los Angeles at the Novo on May 18th. We gotta have you on Smart, Funny, and Black. I'm smart, funny, and black. <laughs> for real. Yes, you are. Yes. But you, you just gave me a little gem too, because I've been thinking about stand up comedy, because I'm really funny. I really am, but it's like cancelable funny. So they're gonna wanna cancel me, but I'm gonna do it to see if they can do it. The one thing about stand-up is that you have to remember it's an art form. Yeah. I think some people think stand-up is just like a live podcast, but it's an art form. Yeah. And like the, the frustrating part for me with T.I. was that he came into stand-up treating it like he had a right to it because he had been so successful as a rapper. But I feel like at the end of the day, you have to come into every craft with a respect for the growth that has to happen yeah. in that way. Yeah, for sure. And so to bring it all the way full circle, when you were like, you do all these different things, I claim all those different things because I started from the bottom, I worked my way up, I had respect for those crafts, and I was able to eventually get to a level of mastery. Mm. Okay, well, I'm down to come on Smart, Funny, and Black if you'll have me. Yeah, no, okay, great. Let's definitely. So, you know, go to amandaseals.com, get your tickets. Also, we have merch available again, so people are very excited about that. So you can get your Smart, Funny, and Black merch and your I'm Not Hostile, I'm Just Passionate merch, etc. So we've got a lot of stuff going on that really is, at the end of the day, about being an independent artist. Listen, and let you be a true testament. Let this whole conversation experience be a full testament to people out there that want to pursue their own dreams and their own passions. Be yourself. You don't need anybody but your true, authentic self and time, patience, hard work, and be dedicated. It's true. Well, thank you for coming on my show. 
Thank you for having me. Oh, you know what I'm also going to be doing? What? I'm going to be writing a monthly article for Ebony Magazine. Really? Yes. Listen, that's amazing. Is it a column? Um, I wrote an article. I've written, a, I've written a couple articles for them. I wrote an article about Tyree Nichols and the system mm. of policing in the country, mm. and they asked me to write articles every month about whatever black things I want, and I feel like it's important for me to put things in writing, not just in the Wi-Fi. Well, listen, they should be honored to have you because I feel like with the rebrand they're going through, I'm really wanting to reach black audiences, especially millennials. Who better than to talk to you who's talking to all of us? Ta-da! We out of here. Peace.